your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And uh, that's going to pretty much do it. The Baylor Rose getting a nobody get hurt shift on the ice. And so the St. Louis Blues dropped their first game of this series to Vancouver. They're now 0-4 in this return to play scenario. Vancouver beats the Blues 5-2. Chris Kerber last night here on 101 ESPN 5-2, game one of round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's 7:01 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman with a birthday today. And uh, we brought out the big guns. Dan oh McLaughlin is in for Michelle. Randy Carricker with you. Danny Mack, good to see you. Good morning, Randy. Happy birthday, Michelle. And I want you to be honest with me, Randy. Did yeah. you stay up last night and watch the whole game? I'm, I I didn't see the five two goal. Oh, I you did it. too. No, but I saw the four two. Wait a minute. It. We we've been in a pandemic. We've been dying for sports. We said we would stay up till four a.m. to watch anything with sports, and you didn't stay up for the first game of the playoffs. If it would have been you of all people, Randy. Hey, I, this team doesn't score two goals, Dan. <laughs> well, that's a good point. <laughs> they weren't coming back. That's you know what? That's a valid point. That's a valid point. So, yeah, with, yeah. A, with about five minutes left, I said, <laughs> okay, that's. Uh, I, I've seen enough. You know. You, you got to go back to when they were in Toronto and had that great comeback many years right. ago. It could have happened, you know. Then there was the David Freeze game. You know, you could have said I turned off my TV and or not been at that game and left early. You know, I, you know some people got, did. Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm good. Yeah, you're you're safe on this one. Yeah. Okay, you're off the hook. <laughs> JT Miller scoring at 1921, another power play goal, and the Blues after being tied two two after two, and you're. Feeling pretty confident that yeah. all of a sudden the speed and the power play of Vancouver stepped up and really did the Blues in. Yeah, they did. And I, I thought the key going into this series was the speed of Vancouver. I also think the Blues have just been a beat off. I don't think their speed has been there for the Blues. I also think it's big boy time. And you wondered if, all right, it's the round robin games and the Blues are now going to turn it up a notch. And I'm a big believer is... Uh, and have been that you just can't turn it up a notch. It's not like, well, we're going to just turn the key and here we go. I think you've got to be having that momentum going into it. I did think they played better. I do think their goaltending can steal a game. So I'm, I'm still okay with it. And there is no, technically, I don't believe in there's home ice advantage, even though there, there is isn't. home ice advantage, you know, but whatever. Um, so I'm all right with it. I think there was a, a, some good signs in the game. And uh, even though they're down 0-1, I still like the Blues in this series. I really do. And they do need to get the next one. But as Panger mentioned last night, Blues hockey over the course of seven games is 
hammering the opposition and wearing them down. The Blues did out-hit them last night, 30-18, to and that's Blues hockey. And if you can just keep, first you have to catch them to hit them, but if you can catch them and hit them, especially with the size of Vancouver, their their main guys, people like Hughes and Pedersen, you can do some damage. And they're big guys, by the way. Uh, you just bounce off them. The speed, though, the speed, Randy. That that's the concern for me. So they've got to they've got to get in those gaps just literally a split second better. If they can do that and eliminate the speed of Vancouver, then I think they win this series. If they're not there that split second, then that's problematic going forward. So I do think they make those corrections going forward. That that's one thing. If you go back into the playoff series. Last year, every single game, they made those corrections on the fly, if you will, from game to game. And that was something that was, to me, that stood out. Game to game, Mm -hmm. they made those corrections. So we'll see in game two. If they don't do it, they're going to be out of the bubble. They'll be back here playing golf very shortly. Here's one thing that is striking about the Blues in the bubble so far. In the four games, three-round robin and last night, they've been outscoring 9-0 in the third period. Yeah, how about that? Penalties have been a problem, too. They, yeah. they went in with a lot of minors going in, and that was a problem going into the third period. And obviously, the as you mentioned, the third period scoring. But that's where, as I mentioned earlier, I think your goaltending can steal you a game. And and to me, generally speaking, the, the Vegas game was kind of an outlier. But the, the goaltending, for the most part, even Jake Allen in the game against Dallas, you mm-hmm. know what you're going to get out of Bennington, I think, for the most part. Um, I think your goaltending can steal you a game and one game in a seven-game series. As long as you play your style of game overall as a team, you can win. And I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, you got to start Jake Allen because last night Bennington allowed the five goals on 22 shots. But last year, Bennington lost back-to-back games in the playoffs just twice. And he lost the first two here to Winnipeg after the Blues had won the first two there. And then he lost two in a row to Dallas, games four and five. And you have a back-to-back coming up. Yep. Games yeah, three you and see, four. You see Jake either Sunday or Monday. I would have to say so. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Especially with the way he played against right. Dallas yep. on Sunday. So you'd have to think about doing that. So the Blues outscored 3 nothing in the third period last night. Craig Berube, how do you get some goals in the third? Well, we had some good chances in the third. Uh, you know, just didn't go in. But listen, the game's right there. Um, you know, we just, we didn't, uh, you know, we can get the next goal. But, you know, we got to do a better job of not allowing what happened to happen. And then penalties are a problem, too. Seven penalties, six of them uh, resulted in power plays, and Vancouver three of six on the power play last night. The Blues had a really good penalty kill for a long stretch during the regular season. Their penalty kill has not been good so far in this bubble. Power play goal, Horvat, power play goal, Pedersen, power play goal again, Horvat, um, power play goal, Miller. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the difference in the game. And speed and sharpshooting, Horvat, and that goal that Elias Pettersson scored was a goal scorer's goal. It was awesome. That yeah. was pretty awesome. And, and there was one, the first goal in the third, the Stetcher goal, was one that I'm sure that Bennington would like to have back. I think that was really the only bad goal of the night. So if you're the Blues... Well, the last one was too, but what do you do? You wake up this morning and you, you review the tape. And again, I think, though, an, an underlying theme is where do you get the scoring? Where's the scoring going to come from for the Blues, right? I mean, right. That's, that's one of the things you look at. And again, third period scoring, as you mentioned... You know, you're 2-2 going into that final 20 minutes. What do you do? Where where does that goal scoring come from? You finally got one out of Schwartz, but the people that you're paying to score goals, your two highest paid guys on the team are Tarasenko and O'Reilly. Yeah. And they don't have a goal yet in four games. Are you concerned right now with Tarasenko? 
He's been pretty quiet this That's whole time. That's the thing. I, I always go back to Bob Plager saying, did you notice him? Did you notice him? I and notice I him. don't notice him. I don't either. So, yeah, I, I don't concerned. either. I, I'm a little concerned, too. I, I thought going into this that if he could go into the rough areas a little bit and pay a price, as they always say, mm-hmm. and just kind of test the shoulder, would that be something that you go, okay, if you're Tarasenko, it, it, it holds up. It feels good. I'm, I'm all right. And you can understand the hesitation that you might have if you're him. You've been out a long time. You've had the injuries with the shoulders. But you're just not noticing him. And that's a real problem. And that's one thing about O'Reilly is he's all over the place. Yes. Even if he's not putting the puck in the net. He's he, a difference maker. He's perhaps the most noticeable forward on the team. For sure. I mean, look at what he did last year. Yeah. It was an incredible year. And, and, and in every situation, too. Yeah. And, and that, the little plays yeah. that don't show up in a score sheet. Right. That line is fine. You'd like to see Shen score a little, well, a little bit. I, I, I said I was going to say a little bit more. You'd like to see Shen score. Yeah. And it was a beautiful goal by Jaden Schwartz. And, and last year, one of the reasons the Blues had such success in the postseason is because pretty much everybody scored at some point. That Those third and fourth lines were able to do some damage. And again, last night, the Blues only got uh, the two goals from Perron, but your, your third and fourth lines did nothing offensively. Do you see if they go down 0-2 a sense of urgency or like you would in a normal normal season or do you see if you're 0-2 and you're in a bubble and you've been there forever and you just go, "You know what? This is an outlier of a year, the hell with this." I could absolutely see that not on the part of Ruby, but on the part of some players. Yeah. No doubt about it. It's 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 just human nature, no. Randy. It is. Who wants to be in a bubble? I I mean, you've been there how many weeks now? Three. This is three. You know. Yeah. I hate saying that, but it's got to be something that is talked about. I'm serious. I, you know, in a normal long road trip, you're there, maybe ten days, twelve days in hockey. Mm -hmm. Now you've been there three weeks, and again, I understand it's the playoffs, and you have to consider the Blues have been in a situation that's different than the other teams where they were fighting to get in. This has been round robin. Now they played an official game that meant something. Not to say mm-hmm. that Ron Robbins didn't, but these the Ron Robbins like, okay, we're just kind of getting ready, and now you had to turn it up, and it meant something, where other teams are kind of fighting to get in. And to me, it's human nature to where you sit there and you say, all right, now we're down 0-2, potentially. That's why I think this next game is vital. If you're down 0-2, and you're in a bubble, and you're in Edmonton, the human nature creeps in, you go... Here's another thing about O2. It doesn't matter how Bennington plays. If you lose that game, Jake has a chance to steal the starting goalie goalie job on Sunday night. Potentially. I mean, then you're because you're O2 and you haven't won a game in Edmonton. In Edmonton, that would be even in, even if you include the Blackhawk game, that would be what six games that you have not won. Right. I mean, just think about the mindset of that. Yeah, maybe you do just get ready for golf. Seriously, I, I mean, dead serious. I mean, that that becomes a problem. That's why I think Game 2 is ma- the most important game of the season for the St. Louis Blues. A 5-2 loss last night, 2-2 heading into the third. The Blues outscored 3-0 in the third period. They trailed the series one game to none. And Game 2 is tomorrow, actually tomorrow afternoon. It's a 4.30 pregame, 5.30 faceoff here on 101 ESPN. So we're looking forward to afternoon hockey. I kind of like that. I do, too. Better than 9.30. Oh, yeah, way better. I mean, we go to a bubble, and you're like, all right, the Blues had the number one seed in the Western Conference. You're going to get some games down Scott Trade. You're going to have this place rocking, and then we still get a game at 930 on a Wednesday. That kind of stunk. Yeah. 
It's okay for the time zone in Edmonton, though. But then you got a four seed, and then you hadn't won a game, and then you're still at 930. And Randy wasn't able to stay up to watch the final. The final goal? Yeah. Yeah, that was disappointing. Yeah, it was disappointing. No. But at least it was their goal and not ours. It would have been more disappointing if it would have been our goal. (laughs) I think it's kind of funny, actually, but that sums up 2020 in sports, doesn't it? (laughs) It sure does. Dan and Randy with you. Dan's here until 9, and today is the day that MLS for the Lou will reveal the name uh, and the colors of the franchise. And so you'll be involved with that, and we're going to air it here on 101 ESPN. And the crest. And the crest. That's right. I like it. I wonder if there will be an arch involved. I hope so. I think it's going to be a lot of history, maybe a looking ahead of what uh, things could be looking like in St. Not that I know. No. I wouldn't know anything. But I'm just there to emcee it. And Dan will be I the don't MC. know anything. But you will be able to watch it on the interwebs. And listen to it, too, yeah. on 101 ESPN. We will have it here. It's also Hot Take Thursday, so if you have a hot take for us, you can mic drop us with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Give us your hot take. There's plenty going on with the Cardinals not playing and the Blues being in the playoffs and college football. For some of you, you're going to be able to watch your team. For others, you aren't. And the Cardinals might be looking at a weekend where Dylan Carlson plays if they play. That's next on 101 ESPN. They're going to play, Randy. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals will not play today. This day was originally scheduled for the Field of Dreams game in Dyersville, Iowa. That was canceled, and then it was scheduled to be a doubleheader against Detroit. That's been canceled now, so no baseball today. And hopefully, we'll be able to watch Dan McLaughlin doing Cardinal baseball this weekend on Fox Sports Midwest. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah, that would be nice. Um, So we got the White Sox, we got the Cubs, so we got a trip through Chicago, and then... Let's hope that there's uh, no uh, positive tests. That's what we really need. We need to get separation from those, Randy. And, you know, the, the I guess hypothetically or theoretically, I, I guess you could say both, right? Yeah. You could have the first wave of guys that were out come back and get them back in your lineup as long as they pass the protocols for Major League Baseball, which would be the negative tests and then the heart uh, tests to come back and then they pass those and then have the time period to be away and then feel good enough to play. So that would be Whitley and Molina and DeYoung and some of the other Ravello and some of the others and insert them in their line in the Cardinal lineup and they technically would not miss any games. I mean, how crazy is that? That would be crazy. That being said, do the Marlins even have any of their guys back? Because I know they're still missing some, at least. Don Mattingly said that the best players are going to play. So they are some of those guys now are healthy enough and have tested to come back and play, but they're playing pretty good baseball. Yeah. And he said that the best guys and the guys are helping that are helping us win are going to play. So the guys that were there originally could be on the outside looking in right now. And to no fault of their own, it's just they're playing pretty good baseball. And he said, I I can't really mess up what we have going on right now. I'm just going to go with the guys that are helping us win. So let's talk about the Cardinals from that perspective then. Because 
They don't have Austin Dean. They don't have Lane Thomas. And they won't be available if the Cardinals play this weekend. Because they're the second wave. Right, because when they tested. And Derek Gould today at stltoday.com suggests that the Cardinals are talking about having Dylan Carlson up the next time they play. We all would have liked to have seen him earlier, but they've only played five games. So he very well could be up and have only missed five games as well. His situation is really interesting, and I I think we point so much to the pitchers and trying to get through games, and rightfully so, because guys have not been throwing. So, for instance, Jack Flaherty this Friday made the first pitch of the Cardinal season. So it will be three weeks since he threw a pitch. And the last starter was Daniel Ponce de Leon Mm -hmm. in Minnesota. So rightfully so, we point to the fact that these guys just haven't thrown. And these guys are creatures of habit, and they're they're not built up to throw multiple innings. So that's one thing of just trying to get through a game. As it pertains to Dylan Carlson, the, the point of the organization has been, well, we need to give Bader a run and Lane Thomas a run and Tyler O'Neill a run. And now the point for me has been, well, the the hitters also have not seen live pitching. And so you've got to get some guys out there that have at least been seeing some simulated games and some live pitching to have a chance to even be competitive in that regard, too. And that points to Dylan Carlson. And then more on Carlson would be that the Cardinals had pointed to if guys had been injured, i.e. Lane Thomas, O'Neill, Bader, Fowler, whoever it may be in that outfield, Ravello, then we'd have to look at Carlson. Well, unfortunately, you've got COVID-19, mm-hmm. which is Austin Dean and Lane Thomas. So that also points then to Dylan Carlson. So it would make sense that if the Cardinals go in that direction, there are some check marks in those boxes as to why you would go with Dylan Carlson. And the Cardinals could conceivably be playing a couple of doubleheaders a week. That's the other thing, too. This is a situation, though, where, and the Cardinals understand this, you can't just throw Dylan Carlson in and say, okay, we're going to play him every inning of every game. You have to ease him into becoming a major leaguer, especially because he only has 18 games at the minor league level. He does have that spring training with the Cardinals, and he was really good. But he hasn't seen in-game pitching since March. So it's not a situation where just because he's been in Springfield and he's seen pitching that you say, okay, he's an everyday guy. You have to limit his innings and his at-bats so as not to expose him and overwhelm him. Well, go back to the doubleheader point that you just made, too. So if you still want to see Lane Thomas, let's just say for argument's sake that he comes back and has negative tests and goes through the protocols and has the the cardiac tests and and comes out of that okay and feels healthy enough to play with all the double headers that allows you still to see him as well. You can get creative then with those double headers because Randy, if he comes up here, he's not here to sit. He is going to play. Yeah, he has to play. He has to play. Um, and so that allows you then to to get creative with the double headers and say one game it's Dylan Carlson, next game it's Lane Thomas, or maybe. Both games, it's Dylan Carlson. One game, it's in center field. Next game, it's in right or left field or whatever, however you want to mix and match. Uh, but it allows you some flexibility to give these guys places to play or DH or go into left and center and right field. Um, but again, it does give you a chance to do that. Remember, Ravello can play the outfield too. That's something to look at. But um, he, when he comes up here, and it's, it's a matter of, of when, not if, he's here to play. And one advantage for the Cardinals, if you do come back, presumably on Saturday, 
You'd probably have a, a game, a, a doubleheader against the White Sox on Sunday. You'd have one. That's what I, I would assume, yeah. don't yeah. you? I would yeah. think so. One or two against the Cubs. But then from August 20th for the rest of the month, you're playing teams that you have not had a scheduled game against. So no doubleheaders. Maybe one on the 27th. Maybe you plug in a Detroit doubleheader there. But from the 20th through the early part of September... You're playing the Reds, haven't missed any against them. Royals haven't missed any against them. Indians haven't missed any against them. Reds, again, haven't missed any against them. So you could have a doubleheader on the 27th against Detroit, maybe plug one in on Thursday the 3rd, and you've got another doubleheader against the Tigers scheduled on the 10th. I think you can pretty if you have Dylan Carlson up, I think you can ease him in pretty easily. Look, you're you're awesome at this stuff. You're way better than me. Um, I've tried to do the numbers, okay? The way I look at it is that, first of all, a 60-game season is probably not feasible. Would you agree with that? I agree 100%. Okay. I think 50-plus games is somewhat feasible. Somewhat. I think it can be done, mm-hmm. even with maybe an off day or two. That would mean that you're looking at maybe seven to eight doubleheaders from here on out. Knock on wood that you come back against Chicago this weekend or next week against the Cubs, but definitely against the White Sox this weekend. So that would mean seven or eight doubleheaders. You agree with that? I agree with that. I'm just wondering, I guess because you want to have a schedule that is legit, for lack of a better word, if you look at the Pirates games, you only have one series left against Pittsburgh. That's there, the 17th through the 20th. So maybe you plug in a couple of doubleheaders. So you you have two doubleheaders on the... Because uh, I've tried to get really creative with yeah. this. So you've already got... Well, I'll, I'll just add some. You've got one on the 27th. You would add one on the 3rd. That would be two of them. Have you done the doubleheaders at home, too, where you get creative at home? Yeah. Okay. So you'd have to add a couple against the Cubs, so I'm up to four. You've got one against the Tigers, two against the Tigers, that'd be five, and then two against the Pirates, that'd be six, plus you have one against the Brewers, that'd be seven, two, eight, nine, is conceivably you could have. That's actually where I went. Yeah, nine of them? I went nine. So why not? I had nine doubleheaders, yeah, and I, I, but I was almost afraid to say it because I was like, can that really be done? And this is why I say that, because I think you almost have to go, Randy, to Major League Baseball and say, we, for the health of our players and to get through games, we're going to need some concessions here to get this done. Um, and I'm not sure that other teams are, number one, going to want to do that. Right. And um, I've got to wonder, if I'm an agent uh, with players that are on the Cardinals, I, I just think you got to be careful with my client, too. And then if you're Mike Schilt, you got to start thinking, like we said, um, with the pitchers, it, it's just a, it's a piggyback system. Like, so having a starting five to me is mm-hmm. out the window, at least initially. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's like, nine. yeah, right. I mean, you just say, okay, Randy starts this game and Dan, you know, be ready to go at, uh, when he's at 20 pitches. Yeah. And then when Dan's up at 15 to 20, um, Scott is getting loose and he's ready to go and, and so on and so forth. And that's how we're going to get through these games. 
and that's where you get the construction of your roster is really got to be a lot of pitchers and ready to go. Should note that Detroit does play on the 27th of this month, but they're off on September 3rd, so that's where you could play your other doubleheader. And maybe, just maybe, thinking outside the box, just maybe, just maybe, you think, okay, we reduce our schedule to whatever that may be around that 50-game mark, and if you're in the playoff hunt is when you start adding more double headers potentially because you, before you get... So say, say the Cardinals have playoff implications or a team that you face that is still left on your schedule, then you can add that late. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So then you say, well, these two teams have playoff implications or there's something that aligns with those teams that have playoff implications, they have to play those games, and then we'll add those back in. And that's one way to do it, too. The Cubs have the best record in the National League. The Rockies have the second-best record. Are they for real? We're going to ask Greg Amzinger that and more next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Today is Michelle Smallman's birthday, so she is taking this day off. Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle, a product of Lindenwood University. Scott Manziara, our producer-engineer, a product of Lindenwood University. I attended Lindenwood University. And right now we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and the lead anchor for MLB Network, our friend... Greg Amzinger is from Lindenwood University. So this is kind of like a Lindenwood Mafia show, Greg. Uh, Randy, I don't know how you're driving your car. You're 15, 18 years old, and you're listening to this not going to Lindenwood University. I mean, we are we are making people believers right now in this institution. <laughs> yeah, we can turn out broadcasters, man. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> hey, I... I I, I want to start with this. Hold on. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is that we're not turning out scientists. <laughs> I took a biology class. I cheated in biology. I'll just be honest with you. That's, that's why we're doing this. We, we passed. Well, that's true, too. That's one way to look at it. Did you take a biology class, Greg? Or a yeah, science class? I, I think I took like three. I, I don't. One had to do with rocks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the well, rocks yeah, in our head. I, 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 I was entertained. I was entertained. I was. Greg, it was the rocks in our head, my man. That's why we're in media, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we can't do math, but at least we can do stats. You right? got that right. Around and do stats. Hey, before we talk ball, I want to talk about what you have going on tomorrow night at MLB Network. For the first time in MLB Network history, you and Dan Plesak and Harold Reynolds are going to call your MLB Network showcase game from Studio 42. And the Brewers are going to take on the Cubs. And at different points, you're going to be able to shift to different games, the two-box format with look-ins to every other game that's going on. It's going to be pretty awesome the way that baseball is going to be presented tomorrow night on MLB Network. I'm really excited about it, Randy. I've talked to you personally about this. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, With a 60-game schedule, every game matters. I mean, think about it. When the season started, there were 60 games left and everyone was tied for first place. That's never happened in the history of the sport. So we're getting closer to the trade deadline. This is kind of crunch time. And I know it's hard to believe that Cardinals only played a handful of games, but we have to view it that way. And why not now try this when everyone is using a studio to call games because they have to, we've got the best replica baseball stadium studio in the world. And we can use so many different looks within that studio. Why not use a, a, the resources of the, seven-time Emmy Award-winning MLB Tonight. We just won 
show you know we've got the incredible production team that we have and and instead of what normally happens you know dan does this all the time on fox sports midwest you're calling a game in the booth and you throw back to the studio for an update and, and there's a lot of coordination that is involved in that uh we're used to doing live look-ins on the whim of the other 14 games whatever throw it up there we'll figure it out so while we're calling the game and we are going to give the brewers and the cubs it's due justice we will um we're going to give you updates on what's going on in anaheim we're going to let you see a key at bat with bryce harper at the plate uh late stages of the ball game for the philadelphia phillies we're going to give you a live look in we're going to do a breakdown tape coming back from break of craig kimbrell is coming in the game Dan Plesak's going to welcome you back in a double box. He's going to give you a breakdown as to why Craig Kimbrell can't find it this year, leading up to the first pitch that he throws in maybe the seventh or the eighth inning. So it's a different way of, of presenting the sport, which I believe since 2009 when we launched the network has always been our goal. It's a faster pace approach to baseball. And will people complain about it? Absolutely. People complain about everything. But that's not going to let us stop our mission, which is trying to get this uh, moving in the right direction, using our studio team to call games, frankly, because everybody's doing it. Greg, good to hear your voice. Um, I'm curious, what, what um, as you've been watching the games, what has been your takeaway from seeing the style of baseball this year uh, across the board in Major League Baseball with the, the shortened spring camp and then uh, summer camp? What, what kind of baseball are we seeing in 2020? What do you think? I think it's competitive baseball. Uh, it, to me, I, I don't see a big drop-off. Uh, not as much uh, bullpenning as I thought I was going to see um, because spring training was so wonky. Um, unfortunately, because they have been aggressive with some of these starting pitchers, we've seen more injured pitchers this year at this stage of the season than I can remember. And the stats do bear that out. Uh, but it's competitive baseball. I think the added... Uh, I can hear what you're saying in your dugout is, is, is giving the competitive nature of these games a bigger boost than normal. Um, but I'm at the, as it stands right now, I don't see a huge drop off. I'm watching every single game I get my, a chance to watch and I'm enjoying it from the Toronto Blue Jays to the San Diego Padres to yes, the Houston Astros. Uh, maybe the Pittsburgh Pirates are the toughest watch right now, but everybody thinks they got a shot. Okay, a couple of those teams you mentioned. I want to touch on two things. Number one, you mentioned the Padres. Who's more real between the Padres and the Colorado Rockies? Uh, I, I think the San Diego Padres. At the end of the day, we are unfortunately going to see another mess when it comes to this pandemic. Uh, the Cardinals will not be the last team that falls, and we have a week of no baseball. It's going to happen, and when that happens – the 60-man roster is imperative. I love the Colorado Rockies lineup. I really do. They don't have the depth from their minor league system, their taxi squad that the San Diego Padres have. It is the best farm system in the National League, and they're about to unleash the hounds on everyone. You're going to see this kid, Mackenzie Gore, come up when the games matter, and this lefty is sensational. They've got young pitching already in the big leagues. They're looking great. Uh, Paddock and Lamette are terrific young right-handers. They've got more depth than just about any National League team when it comes to their young players. 
I believe, I believe in the San Diego Padres. I said it from the get-go. They were my team to go to the World Series. Hmm. Fernando Tatis Jr. looks like the best player in the National League. Machado's starting to warm up. Hosmer's back in the lineup. I'm buying. I'm buying the San Diego Padres. All right. I like that one. But I, I want to also hear about Zach Greinke giving the Giants his That's pitches awesome. last night. <laughs> I thought that was insane. He did it two starts ago as well, and we couldn't believe it. But he's at a point now where I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares. I think I think he realizes the Houston Astros season isn't going to be what he expected it to be. Uh, Verlander out. All rookies in the bullpen except for Ryan Presley. The bullpen's a mess. I think they had an ERA over nine in their last like ten games. They can't get anybody out. Uh, I think he's just having fun in his own Zach Granke way. You have to understand this is a guy that at one other stage of his career, I believe when he was with the Dodgers, he asked if he could be in the war room during the MLB draft. Because he had a lot of research on the top 100 guys. And he just liked for everybody to listen to what he had to say about the potential draft picks. How many guys that have $200 million contracts want to sit in a room and talk about 17-year-old high school baseball players? Zach Granke, he plays to a different beat, man. He does what he wants to do. But the fact that he's, he's putting two fingers down in front of a hitter, honestly, honestly, if you watch the hitters, they're uncomfortable by it, maybe enraged by it. It's a slap in the face, or maybe they don't even believe what he's doing is real. But for the most part, if you watched his pitches, he was literally showing that what he was going to throw. That is confidence. I, and I appreciate that from Zach Cranky. What are the folks at MLB Network, your colleagues, saying about the Cardinals trying to come back and be competitive with all this time off, whether it be with a piggyback system for the pitchers and then for the hitters, trying to get any kind of timing back if they play this weekend? Well, they're going to be, I mean, they've been in communication with uh, the league office, and I do not think uh, the way they make up ground is going to be in a way that holds them back competitively from having a fair, fair shake at this. Uh, Commissioner Manfred came out weeks ago and said, when the Marlins were going through this, we do not need all 30 teams to play 60 games. We will use winning percentage if we have to. I don't think what you're, you know, if people expect the Cardinals to come back and play four double headers a week, that's not going to happen. Uh, they're going to try as, as much as possible to make this a playable situation for the Cardinals. Now, for all of us watching these games every night, and as you guys, I'm sure, can tell as well, timing isn't exactly there yet, but it's getting close for some of these teams. And you're going to see a team like the Dodgers get really hot and roll off 11 straight wins. That stuff's coming. The Cardinals do not have that timing. They're not going to have that timing. It has stunted the growth of this season dramatically. It To me, it would be a miracle for this team to hit the ground running and play at a really competitive level in a really difficult division. I just don't think that they're going to be able to jump into this and, and, and roll off the kind of winning streaks they're going to need to to push away a very determined Cubs team. A Brewers team that's just getting their best player hot and testing here to me looks like a, a perennial all-star to go along with Christian Yelich. Um, the Cincinnati Reds still believe that this is their year. I just don't think they have – they're not going to have the timing to come jump into this and do what they were originally planning to do back during summer camp. So the Cardinals are against it. Crazier things have happened. The Cardinals have proven that before, but I wish them the best. This is going to be tough sledding for them. Hey, Greg, one last thing. American League MVP right now, a third of the way through the season, Judge or Trout? Ooh, I gotta go with, I've got to go with Aaron Judge. 
I, what Mike Trout has done since he's come back is great. But in a 60-game season, I just don't know. I just don't know if the analytical approach to determining who the most valuable player is is going to be used. You're not going to see 49 home runs on the board. You're not going to see a crazy war number. While his numbers might edge Aaron Judge's, this is the year where I believe, with everything that's going on, the guy that led his team to the postseason will actually overpower the guy who's got all the voters going, oh, my, look at these stats. Oh, look at the paperwork on this. Look at his month, his OPS, and this month is ridiculous. He came back from paternity leave and he hit all these home runs. <laughs> if the Angels are not in the playoffs, if they're not in the mix, and Aaron Judge keeps playing the way he's playing, Judge will be the MVP of the American League. I agree with that. What are you hearing about a bubble for postseason play? It's coming. They're working on it right now. So I, I, I think what you're going to end up seeing is maybe four different locations. Um, and they're going to try to get all these, these games played in, in a format that works for the TV networks. But they have to do it in a way where travel is extremely limited uh, for everyone involved. And that way, these, the, 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 the cable television, which is giving them the biggest money here, that's why they're, they're, they're trying to get to the postseason, talking $700 million, they won't have to travel either. So the bubble works for everything. And they don't want the players around people who are traveling so, hence a bubble system. They want to make sure these games get done. They want to make sure these players do not get sick. A, a nightmare situation is game three of the World Series, and Clayton Kershaw is supposed to start it, and he has symptoms the night before, and now everyone that he was around, that is a nightmare for them. So, they're going to have to do a bubble system. They're working on it now. Um, will it be announced in the next two weeks? I don't think so. They want to make sure they've got everything buttoned up, the infrastructure built around it. Um, but towards the end of the regular season, at the beginning of September, they'll make, more, I believe, an announcement of a bubble format system for the postseason. Because of that, because of the number of teams, Southern California with Angel Stadium and Dodger Stadium seems logical if they can uh, withstand the, the hot spot that is Southern California. Where else could you do it? Uh, I, I, at some point, New York, the Northeast. I mean, there's a chance there could be multiple locations in this area. Uh, just because of the ballparks that are available. You can play your marquee primetime games at City Field or Yankee Stadium. And there are, I mean, there are some beautiful minor league ballparks all over the yeah, area. Staten Island, right? Right across. Staten Island might be one of the most beautiful settings and backdrops of any ballpark I've seen. It blows away PNC. Now, again, we don't have fans, so who cares? As long as if, if you play the day games, in minor league facilities, and, and the, the playing surfaces are legit and the dimensions are fair for pro baseball, for major league baseball, then I think that's the way they're going to go. I don't think they need a bunch of major league ballparks. I mean, Citizens Bank is only an hour, 30, 40 minutes away from this. Uh, the Northeast, if based on what you just said, hot spots, right now the Northeast is not one of those spots. And who knows when it gets colder, maybe in mid-September, things change on the map of hot spots. But as it stands now, I know the Northeast, is one of their targets of looking at different locations that could actually work for a bubble system. Would Chicago be one of those as well? Could be. Um, I think what I what I'm hearing is a East Coast West Coast thing. Yeah, and uh, and staying away from um, too many different locations. They're going to try to cluster a lot of these teams in two locations. I think that's what's going to be. I don't know if Chicago would be in play. They're kicking everything around right now. It's funny because the locations that they originally 
were because a bubble system was in play when they were when they were kicking the tires of this season, and they thought it was going to be a 120 game season. Remember that yep. the three locations that they were all about were Arizona, uh, Texas, Florida, and now those three are the places you know not going to go. So. This could all change by the time September comes rolling around. Greg, you're the best. We'll be tuned in tomorrow night, 7 o'clock St. Louis time, Brewers and Cubs, and an historic night for broadcasting Major League Baseball. should be great, and uh, we'll be tuned in. All right, guys. That was fun. Go Lions. <laughs> you bet. Have a good weekend. <laughs> See ya. See you later. Greg Amzinger, Lindenwood University. It's it's the Lindenwood Mafia here on 101 ESPN. There you go. We need Rammer and Earl and Scotty Rammer, Warman. Rammer, Earl, Scotty Warman. Who else? There's some others, too. Yeah, there are. Carriker, me, Scott. Yeah. Um, there's others. Yeah, our buddy Ferrario. Alex Ferrario. Yeah. yeah. So we're all over it. Hey, coming up, we're going to have a quick take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Dan and I and Scotty with Teoli on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Dan McLaughlin is in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We've got take it or leave it. T- send your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. You know how this works. You've oh, yeah. You've done it. Been around. Yeah. All right. I've so, been around a block. Been around, you know. Been around, you know. All right, Danny. Uh, I've got this one for you. I was on this date in 1979 that Lou Brock got his 3,000th hit. 3,000 for Lou Brock. Yep. Off of the knee of Dennis Lamp of the That's Cubs. That's right. Take it or leave it. Lou Brock is the most underrated Cardinal Hall of Famer. Ooh, man. Boy, that's... You come out firing here, Randy. Now, when he... uh, Let me lay it out for you. When he left baseball, he he had more stolen bases than anybody. There's still only one guy that has more stolen bases in history. I'm going to leave it. You don't even have to go there. Okay. Leaving it. Who is? Bruce Suter. Bruce Suter's highly underrated. I'm going Bruce Suter. Yeah. Redefined the closer's role with his pitch. So when, I'm going Bruce Suter. When Bruce Suter entered a game, over. It was over. It was over. Yeah. So I'm going Bruce Suter. Yeah. Even though a lot of people, you know, they look at the save total and they say, wow, 300 saves. But the difference is look at how many two inning saves he had. Right. Look at the distance he would go to get a save. Those kind of things. And look at where he was in his career when he redefined his career with that pitch. So I'm going to go Bruce Suter. I'm going to go with Lou because I don't think he's given enough credit for the 3,000 hits. I think that's fair because most people look at him as a base stealer and not a hitter. You have 3,000 hits. 3,000 hits is 3,000 hits. Right. Okay. I I can see both, but I'm going Bruce. And he's one of my all-time favorites. Oh, my God. Yeah. And And people. Yeah. Great guy. But he did. He changed the sport with that pitch. And people don't remember, among those 300 saves, he did set the all-time record in 1984 with 45 here. Correct. And that obviously was eclipsed. But when he got 300, 300 was the magic number for a closer. That's Gossage, right. When he got to 300, when Raleigh Fing- he finished with 341. But when Raleigh Fingers fit- got to 300, that was the magic number for closers. Now the magic number for saves is 500. At least. Yeah. Now. May have to be more than that, uh, to the point where you come in and just close it out, and you're not going more than an inning. 
Right. Uh, to me, and I know there's not a lot of respect for the position among the people that are voting for the Hall of Fame, I believe that both Billy Wagner and Jeff Reardon should be in the Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner, to me, should be in the Hall of Fame for sure. Um, Jeff Reardon was the best closer in the game for three or four years. Yeah, and it's also about dominance at your position mm-hmm. for that period of time. So I do think that Billy Wagner should be in. I think he'll get more consideration as we go down the line, kind of like what Larry Walker has gotten now, yeah. what I think Scott Rowland will get, what I do think Jim Edmonds will get as we go down the line. I think Edmonds has got an outside shot before it's all said and But done. he has to get to the committee, right? Because he, yeah, he will because he he's off, off the, the ballot. ballot. Yeah. yeah. So I do. All right. Scotty, what do you got for us? All right. From the 636, take it or leave it. The next time the Cardinals play a game, it will be more special than opening day this season. I will leave that. I'm going to leave it. Um, I think the interest level, though, if Carlson is here, will be higher uh, in than we previously would have thought yesterday if Carlson uh, was not here. If they would have played last week against the Cubs, I do think it would have been higher than opening day. Right. But then we had the second wave, and now I think people are very frustrated, understandably so. Right. I think the first opening day was joy. This little one will be kind of relief. <laughs> Thank God they're finally playing again. Yeah, that's what I think, too. From the 636, take it or leave it. The Blues need a new rally song from Gloria. Oh, yeah. They need to get a song, but I don't know what that song could conceivably be. It's got to be something about scoring. Uh-huh. Um, is there some type of scoring song that's out there? Yeah. Paradise by a little bit dashboard and light. Perfect. <laughs> you, he's around second. Now he's heading to third. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we need meatloaf in here. I had meatloaf one time in the booth. He, oh, yeah? he was performing out at Six Flags. Oh, that's great. And I said, you know, if the Cardinals win today, two out of three ain't bad. And it went right over his head. It really? <laughs> went right over his head. It, uh, he didn't I, understand what I was trying he, to say. He has to. How could he not get that of all people? He's He has to swing at that and hit it into the upper Come deck. Come on, Meatloaf. Come on. Come Gosh. on, man. That's got to be one of the worst come on mans ever. Yes. Two out of three. Baby. He didn't yeah. even know that. Oh, gosh. Sorry. No, you're all right. <laughs> From the three on four, take it or leave it. The Cardinals do make the playoffs regardless of how many games they play this year. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. I hate saying that, but it's just going to be very tough for them to get in any kind of rhythm. Right. That's the key. It's just I, how competitive can they be early on with not playing for three weeks? Right. And essentially. And then when they get into actually start of the season form, everybody else will be in mid-season form. They're in mid-season form. Right. It'll be three weeks before the Cardinals can be at a spot where they're legitimately playing regular baseball. Randy, again, Jack Flaherty this Friday will have thrown, it'll be three weeks since he's thrown a pitch in a major league game. Right. And I, you know, I love my Cardinals. They're my team, man. Yeah. But Jack Flaherty hasn't thrown a pitch since Friday. For three weeks. Right. It's tough so, to compete. It really is. And the timing offensively, all of the other pitchers. I'm, hey, I, you wonder how many, and we talked about this yesterday, pitchers to stay in shape and to build the durability and throw innings, they run. They've been sitting in a, either a quarantine. hotel room. Yeah. They've been quarantined for two weeks now. Technically, they're supposed to be in their homes. Yeah. So unless you have a weight room and treadmill. a really nice treadmill, you aren't getting that work in. No. Supposed to be away from their families. Right. Literally away from their kids and Mo their families. Is, yeah, Mo is staying away from his family too. Right. Yeah. 
From the 314, take it or leave it. If Dylan Carlson does get called up, he'll be the DH in game one. Leave it. Yeah, I'm going to leave that too. I think if he plays, he plays on both sides. He's a, He yeah. plays in the field and he plays, obviously, at the plate. Take it or leave it. He's in right field for his first game. Ooh, I'm going to leave that. I think he's in center. Uh, that wouldn't bother me at all. I think he's in center. I think Dex is in right. No Neal's in left. Thank you, Scotty. You got it, man. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, our fresh take. What do the Blues need to work on to get better and win a game in the bubble? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle Smallman, who is celebrating her birthday today. Danny Mack and Randy with you. And Dan will depart at 9 because today you are going to emcee the unveiling of the name for the MLS for the Lose soccer team and the crest and the colors and all of that cool stuff. It's going to be a fun day. I think it's a celebration of, uh, you know, it's been a tough 2020, Randy. I don't know if you knew that. It's been kind of a rough 2020. Yeah, I heard. Um, so today is kind of a celebration, I think, for all of us in St. Louis that uh, that loves sports, loves soccer. And, um, and I've always said this about what's happening uh, with soccer, uh, I'm a soccer fan, but this is um, kind of a St. Louis thing. I mean, it's a celebration beyond soccer. It's um, stadium going up with the fallout of the Rams. It's a something positive happening in our downtown area and in our region. So it's a um, really just a great day for all of us in St. Louis. So it's kind of a culmination of a, a long journey to, to have a celebration of something positive in our town. Jobs, um, building cranes in the ground you know all those things i mean it's it's just a neat day in st louis so it's really just a a special day i really believe that when i when the blues were born nhl obviously was established i think i was four years old so I, i don't remember that the football cardinals and the rams obviously both moved here the steamers we weren't building any stadiums for the steamers they came in and mls or misl wasn't really well known they became a big thing for a really strong couple of years, but they didn't have the buzz of a new established league. My point being that for me, as somebody who can remember sports being born in our town, this is the first, this and the Battlehawks, and that wasn't an established league. So this is really the first expansion team in an established league that I remember as a St. Louis. And soccer is so important to so many in this town. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many great players on the national stage have come from St. Louis. Uh, We are the birthplace of soccer in America. Um, So many national players have come from St. Louis in the region. We're going to talk to Taylor Twelman in about five minutes. Yeah, uh, he's one of them. I mean, so today is a a celebration and a culmination of a lot of hard work from Jim Cavanaugh and Tom Strunk, the Taylor family, Carolyn Kendall Betts. So... I'm I'm just excited. I'm I've had a chance to to meet so many people through this journey that uh, I otherwise would not be able to have meet. They are special people. They have worked really hard, and I will I will tell you this: with everything that I know that you went through with the the Rams situation, these people care, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're doing it for the right reasons of trying to bring something that would unite St. Louis beyond soccer and do it for 
many, many people. Um, and I think that's something you'll probably hear today is that they're trying to bring the community get together and to do something that's good for everyone. And um, and when they open up the season in 2023, you will see a celebration of so many different cultures mm-hmm. and people and heritages and a celebration of a sport that people love. So I'm really excited to see it happen. I really am. So that's the good news today. The bad news is a Blues 5-2 loss last night in Edmonton to Vancouver in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup first-round playoffs. The Blues taking six penalties that resulted in Vancouver power plays. Vancouver scored on three of those. David Perron scored one of the Blues' two goals, and he says the Blues need to find a way to avoid the penalties. They, they had six power plays, so it changes the game a little bit. We had three. Like Jaden said, we got to find a way to uh, to stay out of the box a little bit more. And, and uh, I, I thought we played well down low. I thought we could have maybe earned a couple more power plays uh, the way the way it's been kind of going with the games. Uh, but, yeah, again, they, they played a pretty good game. Uh, five on five was pretty even, and they found a way to, to get it tonight. So, um, I, for me, it's not a wake-up call. I just... I just think we got to keep getting better every day. And that was a step in the right direction for our club compared to the three games we played prior. Dan, before the final penalty that resulted in the last power play goal for Vancouver, the first five penalties for the Blues, slashing, high sticking, tripping, 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 stick infractions. Yeah, and sometimes it tells you that you're a little bit slow mm-hmm. and it tells you just to tick off. And I think we've seen that the entire time they've been up in Edmonton. They've just been that slight second slow. And I I thought they were better last night. We talked about it in the first hour. I, I did think they were better last night. That's why looking ahead to game two, it's the most important game of, of the season. Um, they go in as the number one seed. Now they're number four. And now they're down 0-1. And as we talked about, you know, you're looking at a situation where it's human nature. If they fall down 0-2, you're in a bubble and you say, are we saying, well... You know, now we're 0-2. We've been away from our families. It's just out ah, of the heck with it. We won a cup last year. Yeah. Yeah, we just we're ready to come home. It's it's a it's a huge game. You don't want to fall 0-2. Right. There is no home ice, but still, you can't fall down 0-2. And the best way to negate the speed of Vancouver is to possess the puck yes. in the offensive zone. And the Blues they have not done enough of that in the all the games they played. The exhibition against Chicago, three in the round robin last night, five games. They have not played their game in terms of having the puck in the offensive zone. And finding someone to score. Right. They're just not scoring either. That's another problem that they have right now. And one of your two goals last night had to be a spectacular play by Schwartz. Schwartz, You need to go to the net. You need to to get some business done in front of the net like they did last year. Yeah. If they're going to be their team. No question. We will have game two for you tomorrow night, by the way. Actually, it's tomorrow afternoon with a 4.30 pregame, 5.30 faceoff with Curbs and Joey here on 101 ESPN. But next up... With the announcement today of the team name and crest and colors, we're going to talk to one of the great St. Louis soccer representatives, Taylor Twalman of ESPN. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Big day in St. Louis, the unveiling of the name and the crest and the colors of our MLS for the Lou soccer team. You can hear it here on 101 ESPN at 11 o'clock. Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Taylor Twelman, kind enough to spend some time with us on this big day. Taylor, how you doing? Good. That's the uh, first time I've ever been called a celebrity. So today's going to be a fun day. 
Oh, Taylor, just stop. Will you please? <laughs> How you doing, man? Good. It's a fun day, isn't it? It's crazy it's actually here, but uh, sometimes you have to pinch yourself, and especially during a global pandemic. You're like, wait a minute, are we allowed to be excited for something? And um, today, today's going to be that day. And Taylor, it is amazing because you've witnessed St. Louis man meandering towards this day. And it's, we just think about MLS for the loop, but you think about the, the previous ownership group that, uh, that they tried to get things going. And then before that, Jeff Duncan tried to get something going on the east side. This is a long time coming. Yeah, it's a it's a real long time coming, Randy. When you look at it, and, and just look at the league in general. You know, it wasn't that long ago I was playing in this league, and this league was twelve teams, and, and now here we are at twenty six. We're in cities like Cincinnati and Nashville, Orlando, places that if you would have told me ten years ago this league would be in, I would have told you you're completely out of your coconut. And yet, all along I said, wait a minute here, if this league's going to grow and it's going to really hit its stride right before they host the World Cup with Mexico and Canada, how can you not be in St. Louis? Where there's very few cities in this country where soccer's in the fabric of the city. It's in the heartbeat of the city. Um, And so I I just, you know, I pinch myself that the Taylor family got involved. You know, as much as those previous ownership groups um, worked their tail ends off to try to get it done, and I applaud them. We're not sitting here if the Taylor family doesn't get involved. Uh, they've done everything right. They've done everything for the city of St. Louis. Uh, and I feel very lucky and fortunate as a fan and as a you know fellow St. Louisan and my family's still there that the Taylor family got involved and put this thing together. I've always said it too, Taylor, that this is about soccer, but it's also about the community and they're doing this for the right reasons. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, Dan, that, that's the one thing that I think people, and people think I was too harsh a couple years ago, but it, it, truth hurts sometimes. It, the city needs to grow. The city of St. Louis needs to become more progressive. Uh, it needs to become more inclusive. And how do you do that? Well, you do it with the most inclusive sport in the world, where every single player, there's, a, there's not a more diverse playing group in the world in a single sport. And so... When I'm going to Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm seeing what that city has done and what that city has done, not just with soccer, but in general, and then I look at St. Louis and say, whoa, 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 what what are we not doing in order to pull this thing together? And, Dan, you've heard me say it a million times, and I'll say it again. If the stadium was outside the city of St. Louis, I wouldn't be supporting it. And that's not because I don't think they would sell out. They'll, They'll sell out wherever that stadium is. That's not my point. The point is, the city of St. Louis has to change, and it's got to become part of this century, not last century, and there's so many little things that can change, and I think this is going to jumpstart that. Uh, Dan, you know this better than anyone. Randy, you know this as well. You go downtown, you go to a Blues game, you go to a Cards game, you get out of there. Now you throw a soccer stadium down there, then you build the infrastructure around it, and then all of a sudden you've got some real, real possibilities of that city all of a sudden saying, no, 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 we want young people to come down. We want a diverse group to come down, and we want everyone to stay and put roots in the city. When the World Cup comes here in 2026, do not be shocked 
if you've got multiple, multiple countries fighting for the city of St. Louis to be their training site and to be what that is, because that ultimately is going to put St. Louis on the map. And Taylor, you use the word inclusive. And having gone to a few of the uh, STLFC games and the soccer games that I've been to, you don't have to be a huge soccer fan to have a great time. And you talk about keeping people in the city. Soccer is as much a party as it is a sport and a competition. Absolutely. And the St. Louisans, they deserve an unbelievable amount of credit for what they've done to create an atmosphere that quickly with St. Louis FC, right? So that in a nutshell, and then all of a sudden you put that in a downtown stadium, and you guys have seen the pictures of the stadium. I know what it's going to look like. I know what it's going to feel like. I don't think anyone that is not a soccer fan will go into that stadium and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Because as much as everyone listening to this right now loves Bush Stadium and loves a cards game, good luck for 90 minutes when you can't hear anything, and it's loud, and it's young, and it is vibrant. All of a sudden you're going to say, whoa, this is basically a blues game outside. And that's where I think people in St. Louis, the non-soccer fans, which, by the way, there's very few in St. Louis, which is part of the reason why it's going to thrive. But, Randy, to your point, you don't need to be a soccer fan to understand – what the environment is, but more importantly, what St. Louis is going to put that product on the field. And that's what, as much as today is about celebrating what it is, guys, I'll tell you this right now. I've said it again a million times. I don't care what the colors are. I don't care what the team name is. This team needs to show up on opening day, and if they win, by the way, did anyone like in the 50s and 60s, Dan, you answer me this with the Cardinals. You don't talk about the name. They won, and they won from day one, and they mm-hmm. got after it. And then all of a sudden that breeds. That's what today is about is starting that momentum. And, and when they announced their sporting director and when they announced started some of these technical staff decisions, all of a sudden the group's going to say, and everyone in St. Louis is going to say, wait a minute, I want season tickets now because this thing is going in a direction that I want to be a part of it now before it's too late. You mentioned winning. Atlanta won in their second year, but there are a lot of expansion teams that are starting up. How difficult will it be to be highly competitive early on for the St. Louis team in 2023? It's a good question, Randy. Obviously, that's difficult to answer right now just because of the global pandemic. No one knows what the transfer market's going to look like. I believe that the deep pockets of Major League Soccer owners have an opportunity over the next 12 to 16 months to actually double down and, and, and steal some players of quality from the world market. But in saying that, there's still the blueprint of what works. There's also the blueprint of what doesn't work. You don't want to do what FC Cincinnati did. You don't really want to do what Minnesota United did, although I applaud them for how quickly they got out of it. Atlanta United, LAFC, Seattle. Seattle's never missed the playoffs since coming into Major League Soccer. No other, te- no other team's ever done that. It's like 10 or 11 years, whatever that number may be. Uh, so at least you have examples of what works and what doesn't. I think this team, even though they're not going to go out and spend money the way Atlanta United did or even LAFC, if you find the right guys to build a roster around and it's young, which where this league, a lot of people, Randy, used to think, go get Wayne Rooney, go get Zlatan. Hey, listen, that doesn't necessarily work. So the blueprint's there. I expect them to be competitive year one. But by year three of the project, 
uh, they better be winning consistently, 100%. Taylor Twelman is our guest. Uh, Taylor, what do you think about St. Louis kids coming back and playing here at home? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I think it's more, Dan, about the St. Louis kids that are in St. Louis that are, you know, 7, 8, 9 right now. Okay. So yeah. when they hit that time of 10, 11, 12, 13, where they're so impressionable and they're going to a professional game in a downtown stadium, Dan, there's no, no one over the last 35 years have ever been able to do that. Right. So it, that's where this changes. This is where people don't fully grasp when everyone in St. Louis, and, and literally, you look at the city of St. Louis, they've produced, it's like on average, one and a half to two players a year that go pro. How many markets say that outside of the top 10 big markets? The answer is none. But now, all of a sudden, that 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old, my nephews, are going to be going to St. Louis games downtown where they can look at Bush Stadium. It's no different than what all of us did playing baseball at a high level, said, no, 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 I'm going to play for the Cardinals. Dan, that, it, that's a massive, massive undertaking in a market where you say, no, 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 Josh Sargent, when you were 9, 10, 11, Josh isn't necessarily saying, wait a minute, I'm going to go to Germany at 18, 19, I'm going to play for St. Louis and then go to Germany. It's just a completely different conversation that I don't think anyone in St. Louis fully understands yet. And I do think that with the way that this whole announcement was made at the initial outset, uh, I guess that's redundant, but at the outset of MLS for the Lou, they made the announcement at Matthews Dickey, Taylor. So uh, there are people that might not be inclined to have played soccer, which is an inexpensive sport to play, but now you might be able to get more young people that would have been predisposed to playing basketball or football in the past. Maybe because of the soccer team being here, you can get them to play soccer. Well, Randy, to your point, look at some of the cutouts that are going to be in the crowd today. Brandon Beals at the forefront of it. Yep. Right? Ezekiel Elliott is another one. Like, what people don't understand is that that, that athlete, they, they don't know anything about soccer because they haven't seen it. They're now going to see it. And I've actually had conversations with NBA players about Major League Soccer. Kevin Durant literally just bought into Philadelphia Union because – at ESPN campus, I looked at him and said, you love FIFA, you love soccer around the world, have you been to an MLS game? And he says, no. And I said, just go to one. It's all, all it is is seeing it and experiencing it. And more often than not, it's in person. You're going to see some of the games on ESPN that we do that you can feel it. Atlanta United, LAFC is an unbelievable experience. Minnesota United, you feel like you're in Germany. You need to be there, and every single time, it is 100% ironclad when someone experiences that environment that is an elite athlete outside of the sport of soccer, they all come back to me and say, holy crap, Taylor, you weren't kidding. And I said, guys, that's what this is. And that's where too often because we're American and we've got the best leagues in the world in every other sport, we're sitting at it and saying, well, I can't believe Major League Soccer hasn't hit certain levels. I don't think people fully understand the fact that Major League Soccer has been around for 25 years is an accomplishment in itself. Yet now with this and all of the foundation that's being planted now, then the 26th World Cup shows up. Randy, don't be shocked if Ezekiel Elliott is looking at it at 7th, 8th grade and says, you know what, I'm going to play as a right back. Mm-hmm. Or Brandon Beal says until he's you know, 6'7", 6'8", but you follow where I'm going, guys. It's going to hit, and there's going to be a ton of players 
from that north side that everyone right now says, oh, well, look at the Scott Gallagher's of the world. No, 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 no. This is an all-inclusive team. The academy is going to be free. So I don't care where you're from, what you're doing. If you're good, you're going to play for St. Louis, and that is something in itself that I think very few of us ever thought we'd see it in our lifetime. Now, Taylor, um, your cutout may or may not be in the front. I, I may, you know, may know a thing or two about this, and I may or may not bring down a black Sharpie and may or may <laughs> not put a black tooth in the front of it. Uh, in you, you fairness, may, you know, Dan, I would just literally punch it right between the <laughs> eyes. I mean, do you, know, like, do you know how many people would love to take that cutout oh. and say, you know what, can we use that as a dartboard or can we use that as a dog toy? Uh, you know, start- if you don't mind, I just may have to color just a missing tooth. <laughs> you know, I, it, it just may happen, okay? I just I just want to I'm give you a heads a, up. I'm not a hockey player, so don't ruin the mug <laughs> like that. <laughs> hey, man, awesome talking to you. Thanks for jumping on this morning. I appreciate it, and Randy does no, too. it's great. It's great. Randy and Dan, It's uh, you guys are going to be a huge part of the growth talking the sport, so thank you for doing so. You right. got it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Taylor. Hey, boys. Taylor Twelman with us on 101 ESPN. He's the best. His passion is unmatched. He's been a big part of this. Yep. Be- believe me, behind the scenes, he's as connected as it gets. Done a lot of talking to him behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. He helped me out on a lot of things. <laughs> um, so we talk a lot. Uh, he's a lot of fun. Actually, we were texting before he came on. I said... Um, you know, in the front, by the way, I was, I was, we did a little run through yesterday, Randy, Mm -hmm. to tell you the truth. I said, Hey, your cutouts in the front. And uh, I said, I'm going to put a little black tooth there that you're going to have a missing tooth. Look like like a hockey player. And he said, Oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. So I don't know. I may have to go to Carolyn and say, am I allowed to do this? And she said, (laughs) no, no, I know she's going to tell me that, but she tweeted the cutout. Carolyn did. So you can see that picture right now at either, uh, at bets, Kindle on Twitter, or just go to the MLS for the Lou Twitter page. There's a, um. It's kind of almost freaky, but they've got the whole thing. Um, but th- this is the only part that's freaky. Just <laughs> the there's a there's a huge baby in the front too. I see, see it. Yeah, yeah. There's like uh, it, the, we'd see. We get the Ezekiel Elliott is there. You got Bradley Beal is there. There's some soccer fans going crazy. It looks like just a normal audience going nuts, but then there's a big baby right in the front going nuts too. And that kind of, that when I looked up, I whoa, that hmm. kind of freaked me out a little bit. But hey. The baby's excited, too. So I'm okay with that. Oh, baby. Everybody should be excited. It's going to be fun. It's it's a special day. So Coming if you're up. A sports fan, soccer fan, it's a good day. It'd be great. Coming up. Mikey is back for a chance at the Fight Hall of Fame. That's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. I got to be honest, there's a little pressure, and I feel the pressure in the studio. And I feel the pressure because I'm a part of the fight, but I think Scott feels a lot of pressure. Do you feel pressure? Yeah, I'm feeling a little worried right now. I messed up a question yesterday regarding the college football playoff. I asked what was the only Pac-12 team that had made it. Unfortunately, it wasn't just Washington, which is what Mikey got right. It was also Oregon, which is what Randy said, and we said it was wrong. And now it's all of a sudden we're here at a Hall of Fame fight. And Randy doesn't mess up. No. And so Mikey was able to advance. Right. 
and a Hall of Fame fight would be that the challenger wins a couple against Randy. Right. Three which in a is row. Unheard of. Right. Mikey with us? Mikey, yeah. are you there? I'm here. I got to tell you, man, congratulations. Not many get this far against Randy. I don't know how many people have ever done this. I'm uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You know your sports knowledge. Are you ready to go? Ready as I'll ever be. Let's do it. Number one, when was the last year the Blues lost in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs? A, 2011-12. B, 2014-15. C, 2016-17. Ooh, I'm going to say 16, 17. I think we lost to Minnesota. All right, question number two for you, Mikey. Who was the last Western Conference team to win the Stanley Cup prior to the St. Louis Blues? Was it the Chicago Blackhawks, the Los Angeles Kings, or the San Jose Sharks? Oh, it wasn't the Sharks. Um, man, the Kings ran through us. Uh, I, ooh, I'm going to say the Blackhawks. All right. Uh, question number three for Mikey. Today is our very own Michelle Smallman's birthday. Happy birthday, Michelle. Who holds the MLB record for most career birthday home runs along with Mark Reynolds? Is it A, A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, B, Mike Trout, or C, Barry Bonds? Uh, I'm going to say A-Rod, although Trout did just hit one on his birthday. Is that your final answer? Uh, uh, yeah, I'll go with A-Rod. Okay. All right, your final question, Mikey. What California team did Shohei Otani get his first win against in his big league pitching debut back on April 1st, 2018? Was it the Oakland A's, the San Francisco Giants, or the L.A. Dodgers? No idea, but let's go Giants. Okay, let's bring in Randy Carricker and see uh, if he can match wits with Mikey, who is challenging Randy to try to make it three wins in a row. Again, it's uh, trying to make it three in a what? Uh, three wins in a row. And Scott is uh, you are you're sweating, dude. I mean, luckily I'm wearing Seriously, a, you're a dark sweating. shirt right now, but my legs are shaking a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm Randy. I'm he not going to say who I'm rooting for. He's nervous. Not Mikey, but Scott is. Oh, no, Mikey, you're not nervous. It, it's okay, though. Do I look nervous? I, I'm nervous. Mikey is on the uh, phone line here, Randy. If you'd like to say hello, Mikey, welcome back. Good luck today. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, number one. When was the last year the Blues lost in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Randy? Is it A? No, two, I don't need the A or B or C. Or yeah, you oh, don't, okay. You don't get the All A. right, they'll give them the uh, multiple choice. All right. Okay, last year that they lost in the first round would have been 2017 against Minnesota. All right, question number two for you, Randy. Who was the last Western Conference team to win the Stanley Cup prior to the St. Louis Blues? Um, it had to be the Hawks or the Kings because the Penguins won in um, 18 and 17, I believe. So 16... Or maybe they won 16 and 17. And the Hawks' last win was 15. It was 10, 13, and 15. Um, let me make sure I got this right. Um, so you, And you've got the 
Kings that won in 11 and 14. So let's see, 15, 16, 17, 18 was Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Washington. So I'm going to go with the Chicago Blackhawks. Okay, uh, Randy, question number three. Today is our very own, as you know, Michelle Smallman's birthday. Uh Happy birthday once again to Michelle. Happy birthday, Michelle. Who holds the MLB record for most career birthday home runs along with Mark Reynolds? I'll do the lifeline here. I don't know. Uh, Can I give him the three? Yep. Okay. A-Rod, Mike Trout, Barry Bonds. Since Barry Bonds has more than anybody else, I don't know when his birthday is, uh, but I'll, I'll... just guess that that's it. Okay. I don't know who would know that, but I'll do it. All right. Final question for you, Randy. What California team did Shohei Otani get his first win against in his big league pitching debut on April 1st, 2018? Is it the Oakland oh, no, A's? You don't have to tell me. I, oh, I, you're I, right. I, 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 bl- I would have to think that it wouldn't be the Dodgers, Padres, or Giants on April 1st. So I'm going to go with Oakland A's. Well, let's see. The first one, we have uh, nobody right. The second one, we've got uh, both correct. The second or the third one, we have, help me uh, add this all up here, Scotty. We've got uh, Mikey correct. So we have a tie, don't we? Yep. We have a tie. We have a tie. For the Hall of Fame right now, we'll have a tie. So here's how the tiebreaker works. Mikey, I'm going to read the question to you, okay? And you're not going to say the answer just yet. Randy is getting out a pen and paper right now because he is going to write down his answer while we wait. And then while, while I ask the question, he will write it down. You will give the answer. Whoever's closest to the pen wins the fight today. All right, you got that? You got that, Mikey? Yep, Randy, Randy, are you ready with pen and paper? I'm ready. Sweet. Okay, here's the tiebreaker question. Since the Cardinals start in 1900, how many regular season wins in franchise history do they have? Excludes postseason. Okay. So Randy will write his answer down, and then Mikey, you will uh, give me your answer. This is regular season wins in franchise history excludes postseason. Okay. I'm going to say 10,123. All right, Randy, do you have your answer? I got 9,300. All right, I'm going to have to do some math here. It's How many that, do they have? It's, it's that close. It is ninety-seven forty. So I am four hundred and yeah. So ninety-seven forty. <laughs> uh, so forty. I am uh, four hundred and forty off. Well, yours was ten one. Ten, w- ten one two three is what he had, and that is three hundred and eighty-three. So we uh, we have a winner. We have a winner and still champion. Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. There you go. Good job. Congratulations, Mikey. It came down to 17 wins in franchise history that you got closer than Randy. You got neither one of you guys got question one right. The Blues beat the Minnesota Wild in round one of 2016-17. I did say that. 
Right. No, no, they, no. Oh, they beat them. Yeah, they beat them. They lost in 2015, 2014-15 against them in round one. Question number two, you both got to ride the Blackhawks for the last team to win the Stanley Cup. And the most career birthday home runs along with Mark Reynolds is A-Rod with six. Shohei Otani did get his first win against the Oakland A's back on April 1st. You guys tied. And then, of course, the answer was 9,740 for franchise wins. So congratulations, Mikey. We will talk to you again tomorrow. And you are in the Fight Hall of Fame. Wow, this is amazing. Thank you. Great job. You got it. By the way, who's second with birthday home runs? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think since Reynolds and A-Rod are tied with first, I think uh-huh. the third person, maybe Barry Bones? I don't know. I'm going to have know. to look it up. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tough one. That's an impossible one. Yeah, not not a great question. It's, it's not. Uh, coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not coming up yeah. with these questions. Yeah, I'm I, just I a moderator. I'm just a moderator, Randy. (laughs) Coming up, Hot Take Thursday on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack has to depart after this segment. He'll be the MC for the MLS for the Lou press conference to announce the name, crest, and colors. Looking forward to that at the MLSforthelou.com website. Looking forward to it as well. Should be a great day. It's going to be fabulous. It's time for Hot Take Thursday on 101 ESPN. Send your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Dan, I don't know if you saw it, but friend of the show and a friend of all of ours, Joe Kelly, is speaking up after his suspension was reduced to five games. Did see it. I love it. My favorite picture yet on the internet during 2020 is <laughs> is him with his three kids superimposed with mm-hmm. the faces of Altuve, Bregman, and Correa. Correa. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. So, funny, funny he's, stuff. He's still talking about Houston, and he wasn't even with the Dodgers when Houston cheated against them to cost the Dodgers a World Series in 2017. But he did say on the Big Swing podcast hosted by teammate Ross Stripling, he said, quote, the people who took the fall for what happened is nonsense. Yes, everyone is involved. But the way that sign stealing, stealing system was run over there was not from the coaching staff. They're not the head boss in charge of that thing. It's the players. So now the players get the immunity and all they do is go snitch like a little bee. My hot take is that Joe Kelly, by the end of the season, is going to be the most popular relief pitcher in baseball. Put it this way, the uh, the first year in Dodger Town was kind of up and down for Joe Kelly among the fan base, and now he's become one of the most popular Dodgers right now in their history. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, the fan base loves him after what he did because the Dodger fan base is upset with what's happened with them in dealing with the Houston Astros and what happened in their postseason. Mm-hmm. So he took matters in his own hands. And most players silently, I would assume some, others publicly are saying they're happy with what happened and this is not going away randy so let's just say for argument's sake that we are able to congregate as fans next year and go to the ballpark you think for in any instance that when the houston astros come into a visiting ballpark that fans are going to forget not a chance not a chance not a chance and other players are going to take this and deal with it in the you know in their own hands too by doing what Joe Kelly yep. did. It's still going to be happening. And it's probably still going to happen yeah. this year, too. Especially since he got his suspension reduced. Yes. And now Houston looks even worse with Alex Cintron taking shots at uh, Ramon Lariano's mother the other day. and causing... well, Baseball didn't handle it. No, they didn't. And Cintron gets the 20-game suspension, but they still haven't handled the sign-stealing situation. They didn't handle it from the onset, and Jim Crane's comments weren't handled properly. And so 
you know, it, it's it's a situation where kind of baseball, I think, tried to sweep it under the rug and it wasn't handled properly. The players weren't suspended properly. And it's a mess on top of everything else of what's going on with baseball. And so the players now are taking it into their own hands and trying to police yep. it. And it's gotten out of control. And this is what you have. You had a situation with Joe Kelly saying, I'll take care of it. Well, do you agree with me that baseball should let the players handle it? I think everything worked a lot better when players policed it when themselves. When the players kept themselves accountable. Yes, I do. And usually it was handled internally, meaning mm-hmm. the players policing it themselves with brawls and those kind of things. Or, you know, the one thing I had a problem with Joe Kelly is I don't like guys throwing at people's heads, but if he had better control, maybe you throw it at his bum. Yeah. You know. And he said he just didn't have good control that day. Well, if you watched him during the quarantine, he did knock out his own window of his house. So maybe there was a problem with control. But Joe has had a history of when he was at the Boston Red Sox throwing at the Yankees and various Mm. things of that nature. So he he does have a history of kind of policing things himself. He's old school. I like it. He is old school. My hot take is that Yadier Molina at the age of 38 will play three more Major League seasons. So does that include this season? I'm going to go with... Or 21, 22, 23. I'm going to go with not only this season. I, I think he's going to try to play next year and two more after that. That's a red hot take. I think it's probably off base, but that's you said I could go a red hot take, right? It's a hot take, yeah. So I'll go this year, maybe, and then two more after this year. All right. But there's no no question he's going to play beyond this season. So there's from, no, no doubt in my mind. No. It, no None. No doubt. Well, Will it all be here? Yes, I think he retires a Cardinal. And the the thing is, Randy, I, I think I do across the board what has happened for a lot of these players that are at his age or others that are were contemplating, even if they weren't at his age, but let's say in their mid-30s, I think it's it's taken into account that they don't want to retire. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think a lot of guys have said, I'm not ready to retire. I've been now had a sense of what retirement was like, and it's not out of my system. I want to play longer. Um, I'm sure it happened with Yachty. I, I would assume it's happened with Wayno. I would assume it's happened with maybe like a guy like Carpenter or others just for the Cardinals. But now take the Cardinals and look across Major League Baseball, the players that are like that. And they said, you know what? It's not out of my system. I want to continue to play and I do have a desire to play. And that flame is still burning. And I hope the Cardinals and Yachty both recognize the incredible thing that they can do because the only two players... The only two Hall of Famers that have never worn another jersey but the Cardinal jersey are Stan Musial and Bob Gibson. That's right. And Yachty, he's going to the Hall of Fame. And I would love to see in our generation there be a guy that only played for the Cardinals that made the Hall of Fame. And in this day and age of free agency and uh, where players jump from team to team, it's it's mind-boggling like a guy in basketball like Shaq having played for multiple teams. Like six? Yeah. How does that happen? You know, I mean, that's when you look at, you know, Mike Trout should never wear another jersey and other than the Angels. He, he won't. But, well, I say he won't, but you never know. But, I mean, you look at great players with a single team, they should never, ever move. But yet it happens all the time. Right. And it, that, to me, is is unbelievable, where if you went back 40 years ago, 30 years ago, that, that never happened. But this is the day and age of sports with free agency and the money where it just doesn't happen, where if you could have it happen with Yachty, I would think even if his skills diminish somewhat, um, he's an iconic figure in St. Louis Cardinals history with an iconic franchise. That should not happen. And I really thought we had seen the end of that when guys like Smoltz and Glavin move on. But you've had Chipper, you've had Jeter, you've had Mariano. 
Uh, Trevor Hoffman obviously moved on. It's few and far between where you have a Hall of Famer that does spend his entire career with one team, but there's more than I thought of recent vintage. I thought it was really weird. I think it was um, save number 600. It happened against the Cardinals, and it was Trevor Hoffman pitching for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. And I thought, how odd is this? And I was calling the game, mm-hmm. and here it is, Trevor Hoffman in Milwaukee, of all places. That, that just should not have happened. He was iconic in that community in San Diego, and it just should have been with the Padres. It should have. Yeah. A couple of texts, 65780. Uh, hot take, Yachty becomes the Cardinal manager after Mike Schilt. It wouldn't surprise me that he manages or coaches in the Cardinal system. I, I That's one of the guys that I think winds up having some type of role with the Cardinals. I think Wainwright has some type of role with the Cardinals. There are just certain guys, Matt Carpenter, Matt Holiday, once their kids start to grow up and get older and move on in their lives, that they do wind up having a role with the Cardinals, whatever that may be. How about this one from the 314? Jake Allen gets game three if the Blues lose game two. I could see that happening. It it, it all depends, though, on what and then you go back to Bennington, maybe game four. If you're looking at some type of shift in momentum, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you go down 0-2 and you're going to go with back-to-back games and you're going to have, let's say, you're going to flip goaltenders anyway, you might want to do it then. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Play. From the 636 hot take, unfortunately, the Cubs are back. They're yeah, pretty they good. This was going to go one way or another for the Cubs. They've been healthy. And if they didn't stay healthy, they weren't because they aren't very deep, they weren't going to be great. But their 25 to 28 man group, their first group is really good. I don't like their pitching. I mean, but their pitching's been fine, yeah. especially in a short season. Lester's doing it with Guile and Smarts. And the, the thing they got to get figured out, though, is the back end of their pen. Now, Jeffers has been fine, but Kimbrell is. And people are just spitting on his his breaking pitches and diving all over his his fastball but then get him right and figure out the back end of a pen and get uh you know a seven eight nine kind of combination they're going to be very tough we will let you rock and roll to okay, mls for the loo what do you got coming up the next two hours this uh, is like a crossover i guess yeah it, it kind of is a crossover uh we're going to talk to jeremy rutherford oh good from the athletic we're going to talk some blues hockey and uh, going to talk about Blues third periods. Might even ask people to ask me anything. I think I'll do that. We'll try to get the mic drop going and let them ask me anything, sports or not. I just wish you had some sports knowledge, Randy, to carry an hour or two. You know, you Dan, know? I don't even know who the all-time leader is in birthday home runs. Here's my... I, this is the only thing I'm going to ask. Yeah. As I've said many times, you don't get mad very often. I'm not mad. But yes, you are. I know you very well, and the needle is starting to move. Let's calm it down. I brought you some Dunkin' Donuts. Thank you for the Dunkin' Donuts. You're the man. Have a donut and calm it down, because I can tell it's going that way, because then you get a little smart-alecky. Scott? Am I being passive-aggressive? Yes, you are. And just good luck. Just be easy on my man here. Because I can tell that's where it's gonna go. He's my guy, I know. This so, was fun, man. It was great. We got to do it. more radio together. I hey, I'm in. All this right. is a lot of fun. Let's do it. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel. You're the best. All right, and we'll Scott be watching there and okay. listening this morning at eleven. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you, sir. You got it. Dan McLaughlin with us on 101 ESPN. In for Michelle. We mentioned Joe Kelly's suspension has been reduced. Does Alex Cintron have an opportunity to get his reduced? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 
9.06 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle has a birthday today. She is off. Danny Mack headed out to handle the MLS for the Lou press conference that starts at 11. And we'll have it for you here on 101 ESPN. We also want to inform you that later on in the show, we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic. He'll join us at the bottom of this hour here on 101 ESPN. But a couple of things have happened. Number one, Joe Kelly got his suspension reduced. It was supposed to be eight games. He went through the process and baseball decided to reduce it to five, which is still too many, but at least he he did get it reduced. It would have been the equivalent of 22 games over the course of a 162 game season. Now it's uh, about 14 games, but Alex Cintron, the coach for the Astros who instigated the melee against the A's on Sunday, got a 20 game suspension and he was thinking about perhaps doing a uh, the, the same thing as Kelly, trying to appeal the suspension. But evidently he's going to accept it because there's really nothing that he can do to appeal that would cause Major League Baseball to have second thoughts. It's pretty clear because of the microphones that they had that he was saying offensive things to Ramon Laureano about his mom. Laureano naturally responded in addition to being hit three times in the game. He charged the Astro or the yeah the Astros uh, dugout. The brawl started, and baseball says that Sintram was the instigator, so he has been suspended for 20 games, a third of this season. So Houston just causing problems again, and I wonder when we reach a point where we say, you know what, this Houston situation is toxic, and I understand that Dusty Baker is in charge. But at some point, Jim Crane is going to have to take a look at his organization and try to get them to be a more friendly organization because everything they're doing since they were caught and since the whole sign-stealing scandal came about, everything that they're doing is defiant and defensive. At some point, you have to show some contrition if you're the Astros and say, you know what, it was our fault, we're going to own it, we cheated. And we want to move on from this, but we are sorry. Sorry, we've never had an apology. And uh, as opposed to an apology, what we're getting is the Astros starting fights. And I don't think we necessarily need that. Another big story today is college football. And as you know, the Big Ten has decided not to play. The Pac-12 has decided not to play. Right now, the Big 12, ACC, SEC are all systems go. They're planning on starting in September. The head coach at Ohio State, Ryan Day, is thinking about trying to play football starting in January. Well, does it make much sense for the Big Ten to go to a spring schedule? Does it make sense for a guy like Justin Fields to play in January, February, March when the combine takes place in February or March and the draft All the draft draft preparation takes place in March and April for players. Doesn't make sense to me for a big-time, first-round draft choice quality player to be playing in the spring. The other part of it is Ohio State wants to play starting in January, and Scotty put this together for us. The averages in January in Columbus, Ohio, the average high, the average high temperature in January is 36 degrees. The average low is 20 Maybe February, 40-degree high, 22-degree low. You aren't going to have any fans in the stands, likely. 
and the players are going to be really cold. I know people say, well, it's cold in November, too. It's not nearly as cold in November in Columbus, Ohio, as it is in January and February. It just makes no sense to me that they would play then. I know Ryan Day and some players would want to play spring football, but in terms of the way it meshes with the National Football League, the way it meshes with draft preparation and the draft itself, I just don't see a scenario in which it would be smart for Nebraska or any other team to play, play in the spring. It's a different situation altogether if you're the Ivy League and you don't have first-round draft choices and you don't have players worrying about the combine. If you have players that just want to play football for the love of the game in the Ivy League, that's one thing. They can play a spring schedule and there will be little or no effect. But if you're a big-time conference like the Big Ten, I don't see how spring football benefits you at all. And I don't see the players, ultimately, the big-time players that are going to leave after this year, whether it's a senior or a high-profile junior like Justin Fields. I don't see those guys wanting to play. No, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Because if you think about moving all the way to January too, Randy, we already know how cold it gets like you were mentioning. But when you start a season in that cold, it's much different than if you've been playing for a couple of weeks like the NFL is or a couple of months in their case. But to start a season like that and then see, oh, yeah, the NFL draft in April, that's where I'm going to go. Like, wh- what's the motivation and how much is really going to change from now to then? It's really not. Perhaps they could do crowds with social distancing. And that's a massive stadium. But I don't know that that is going to make a huge difference. If Is having 25,000 people at the horseshoe going to make a big difference? I don't think it is. I can't imagine that if you're ABC and you, if you're ABC ESPN and you have Michigan, Ohio State and you schedule them opposite the NCAA tournament in March, who's going to get the ratings? Maybe Michigan, Ohio State will get a lot, but it's just a tough competition from a TV standpoint, whereas Michigan, Ohio State plays on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Everybody knows everybody's in front of their television for that. Well, if you have that much competition with the return of the NBA and the NCAA tournament, and you're trying to play college football in that environment and trying to make people that are, and by the way, the NBA is on ESPN, trying to make the people that televise your games happy, I wouldn't be happy if I were ESPN. Yeah, you have so much to compete with. Right. I mean, it's in, it's insane. Can you like even think about football in the spring to play? Like, think about this, even like watching a spring game or something. I mean, these guys aren't going to have a normal fall. They're not going to have a normal winter, and then all of a sudden they're going to be asked to play at a time that they've never played. Before. Like I said, I think it's different for a smaller level conference. I don't even think the MAC can play in the the spring. I don't think any Division One can. I think the Ivy League, and yes, they're Division One, but. They don't have draft picks. The MAC has people that are planning on being drafted in the first or second round. I think that's the biggest thing. And then you have people questioning so much because you get, say you get done with the season in March or April, and then you have May, June off, or is summer camp going to start again? Are you going to go back to your school and get ready for the fall? You know summer camp is going to start again. Wow. So I I don't see how that happens. I, I would suggest that the fact that they aren't going to play football in the fall is a year off, that they just aren't going to play football this year in the Big Ten or in the Pac-12. That is Scotty. I'm Randy. And coming up, we talked a lot about side pieces in the bubble yesterday. Well, if you could bring 
somebody to the NBA bubble if you were playing. Who would it be? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. As teams leave the NBA bubble, there will be several teams that don't make the playoffs. And obviously after the first round, you'll have another group of teams that leave. As those teams leave, the bubble will be opened up for friends and family members of NBA players. And yesterday, Adrian Wojnarski got a hold of the memo that was sent to NBA players, alerting them to who's available to come into the bubble. And these are the terms negotiated that preclude players from hosting guests who won't be deemed as wholly casual in nature. The player has to have a person come into the bubble known by the play or can't have a player come into the bubble uh, that is known by the player only through social media or an intermediary. So if you met somebody on Instagram during the course of the bubble process and you want to bring her in or him in to the bubble, you can't do that. Those without an established, pre-existing, personal, and known relationship are not allowed in. So this sounds like very close friends and family members. You can't bring in a tattoo artist. You can't bring in a chef. You can't bring in people that you don't know. So it seems pretty limited. So you get your choice. You, You can bring in a family member, brother, sister, wife, kids, or you can bring in your parents. I don't see what else you can do unless, uh, of course, you have a long-time companion or uh, fiancé that you could bring in. So who do you bring in? For me, it's the family. It's pretty easy. I don't know uh, what other direction I would go. I think, Scotty, it's pretty easy for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I would bring my girlfriend. But I, I was also thinking, do you think the NBA really has a right to say, hey, you've had to meet this person in person. There's no no side side pieces, or bring somebody in that you haven't met on Instagram. Why do they have the right to say that? Because it's negotiated with the NBA Players Association. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that the, the players' representatives, their union, agreed to these rules. Yeah, well, I just, I feel like, I, I understand that they agreed to them, but if you just think about it in like a broader spectrum, like, is it, if you're going to quarantine, like, do you think it really matters if, if it's a family member or if it's somebody else? I, I know the rules are what, what they are. Yeah, and th- those that come into the bubble, those long-standing relationships, quote-unquote, that the league requires, those people have to quarantine for seven days before they can enter the bubble, whether it's three days in their home city and four days at Disney World or coming to Florida and quarantining for seven days. And they have to test every day. And if you have kids that are six, seven, eight years old, they still have to go through the educational process too. So does it make sense to bring your family in, staying in a hotel room at Disney World for another month if you're LeBron James or an older player on the Lakers or the Clippers, somebody who expects to be in the finals? Does it make sense to have your kids in a hotel or a hotel suite for that long when they could just be doing the same thing that they've been doing for the last month at home. Right. I think the play for most players is going to be, I'll just stay here by myself. I'll concentrate on basketball, I'll hang out with the guys, and we'll do our thing. Yeah, do you think the NBA should even let somebody come in? Do you think they should have guests be, I, be allowed here? I think there are probably some really good family men in the NBA, I, uh, and I would have to think that there are some guys that really do miss their family. Maybe a lot of guys that really miss their family, so that should be allowed. But if you're 
24 years old and single or 22 years old and you met somebody on Instagram? No, I, I don't think that those people should be allowed to pop the bubble. And it's not just the idea of problems that could be caused by the coronavirus. But as one general manager told ESPN, the issue of casual acquaintances, quote, could create problems within your team and maybe someone else's too. If you bring in that side piece from Cleveland. Oh, I see what you're saying. She, and you're a member of the Lakers. And she happens to be the side piece of a member of the Denver Nuggets, too, when they're in Cleveland. That could cause some real problems. So what you're thinking is if the Lakers are playing a game and, you know, the side piece is back at the hotel room, maybe the, the Nuggets are off and she decides to go right. to a different room? Right. Or if she doesn't think about the fact that the Nuggets player is there and the Nuggets player finds out that she's there visiting the Laker guy, that in the cafeteria, that could cause a brouhaha. That, yeah. that could cause a rumble. I mean, there could be a food fight yeah. for all we know. Yeah, so that's a problem that the NBA is well aware of because they have it outside the bubble all the time, and I would think that they want to stay away from that. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even think about if somebody else runs in and the, and the side piece is a side piece for multiple NBA players. And I'm sure there are side pieces that are just that. And you like, what if it's like a teammate and you look at him and you're like that Spider-Man gif where it's like, you? No, no. <laughs> right. So that that could be a problem. That would be an issue. And I wonder if anybody will bring in their parents just so that they can see them in the playoffs. Now, the players only get one ticket per game, plus they can bring in a child that's less than 32 inches tall, so basically <laughs> a baby. But if you bring your mom and dad and you invite mom to the game... And dad just kind of has to hang out back at the hotel because your guests aren't allowed to go to the Magic Kingdom either. They have to stay within the bubble. So they are going to be bored. Let me ask you this question then. If your son was playing in it, would you and you and your wife were to go down there, say Patrick's playing in the NBA, would you want to go down there and be in the bubble period? Probably not. I would get really bored. I need to be able to move around. I need to be able to get outside. I don't think that I would I don't think I would handle a bubble environment very well. I think it would be so tough. You know, if you're told like, hey, you can go to the, you know, most magical place in the earth, mm-hmm. but by the way, you can't do all the stuff that makes it the most magical place in the earth. What you have to do is be really committed to what you're doing. And the basketball players, they are. If if I was in the golf bubble and that's essentially what they have, I could handle that. I could handle playing golf every day. Just you go home, have dinner, sleep, get up, work out, go play golf, do it all over again. I can handle that. Yeah, that'd be but fun. I'm not a good enough basketball player or hockey player to be able to handle the bubble environment. But that's what Vladimir Tarasenko told us before they started, right? Is just give me a bed and food and hockey and I'm good to go. Well, I'm just thinking about all of the trips, you know, you've made with different sports teams and covering different events. And, you know, you've spent a lot of downtime in hotel rooms. I mean, think about all the times that you've gone. Can you imagine just being like, all right, I know I'm going to, let's say, Milwaukee for for three games, mm-hmm. but you end up staying there for even longer. Can you imagine just sitting there and not being able to leave? I mean, Well, and when I go to another city... Generally, I'll find something to do, whether it's, you know, if I'm in a warmer climate, it'll be either golf or renting a bike or walking around the city. And you can't do that in in this situation. So I'm proud of those guys for being able to do what they can do because I couldn't do it. Yeah, I I I would want to be one of the broadcasters down there in the bubble. Yeah, that would be so weird. I mean, are, they aren't at the game either, are they? 
Are oh they, yeah, are they're yeah. inside the arena. Yeah, they are, and uh, there are some people that are doing tons of reporting. Rachel Nichols is all over the place doing different reports, and it's great. But I wouldn't want to be stuck like that. Yeah, you'd have to be, you know, two weeks before everybody got down there, right? Because isn't that yep. what, uh, you know, we have, you know, somebody up in NHL uh, with the Blues, Jim Thomas, covering the Blues. Yep. He had to sit up there for, to quarantine. for two weeks. And right. then he, he gets to go to the games and sit and watch. So, I mean. Jeremy Rutherford was smart to stay here. Yeah, I agree. And he is going to join us next as we roll on. It's Carriker and Smallman. Minus Smallman today. The birthday girl is out. She'll be back tomorrow on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Blues fall 5-2 last night in their opener of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. It was in Vancouver. Tomorrow afternoon, they'll play at 5.30, 4.30 pregame here on 101 ESPN. And talk to talk about where the Blues are and where they're going, Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, joins us after staying up late last night for that 9.30 start and that after-midnight finish. JR, how you doing? Really well, RK. Thanks for having me, buddy. Hey, always good to talk to you. And let's start with this. Was what you saw last night, based upon the three-round Robin games, any surprise to you? A little bit, yeah. I think that when you hear this Blues team talk about getting it together and uh, games that count, uh, you think that uh, you're going to see some of that. And and I think we did. I think there was more structure, more purpose to their game. I think they did some good things. But right now, Randy, uh, you look at first games in series, and usually it's a feeling out situation. You're feeling out the other opponent. I think that's what happened last night. But what's happening with the Blues in last night's game is they're still battling some of those things from the round robin, the penalties, the third period collapses. They're still battling themselves right now, and that's what you didn't expect to continue once the game's counted. And let's start with the third periods. 9 nothing. they've been outscored in third periods. And this is a team that did such a great job of either winning games that they were even after two or holding leads, 26-0-3 in holding leads during the regular season. Obviously, they didn't win a game in the round robin, even though they led all three of them. So that seems to be an issue that they know they have the ability to fix. It really is. And uh, you look at that round robin, they had the lead going into the third period for all three games and lost it. And so what are they getting asked in the Zoom questions with uh, reporters? They're getting asked about those third periods. So they might not be concentrating on it, but it, they're aware of it. It's on their minds. And so last night you have a tie, tie, uh, you have a tie game going into that uh, third period. And the Blues actually put a ton of pressure on it, as you saw, and looked like they had a chance to score. You're thinking, okay, you know, this is the situation where they learn from what's happening in the round robin and apply themselves in the third period and, and grab a lead here and hang on to it. But after that pressure that they put on, uh, Vancouver, I think, kind of stood their ground and went down and, and scored. And you get a bad goal that beats Jordan Bennington. You kind of get a little bit uh, deflated. And then here you go again. So I do think it's something that snowballed on them here, and they're going to have to figure out the third periods. And, Jr., you mentioned the penalties of the first well, of the non-major penalties the Blues took, only one was not a stick infraction. We know why stick infractions happen, right? Yep, being lazy. Yeah, and so that's an issue that they have to deal with. Either you're lazy or you just aren't as fast as the opposition, and both might be at play here. Both, I think, are at play there. And I think it's a situation when we asked Craig Ruby about the penalties last night, he said, look, we're playing hard, we're playing physical, you didn't see a lot of uh, body penalties. 
uh, which I guess is a good thing if you're going to break down, you know, the level of uh, penalty, but uh, the, the stick penalties are bad. And you knew going into the series that the speed was going to be a factor for Vancouver. You saw it in the first five or 10 minutes last night. Again, I mentioned feeling out the opponent. You saw the blues trying to feel out that speed, the defenseman, backing off. I think they settled into the game a little bit and they became a little more comfortable with it, but that speed is going to be a major issue in the series. And if the blues are lazy or they can't catch up to that speed, you're going to see more of these penalties. Yeah. And I do think that one of the things that I haven't done this morning is give Vancouver enough credit because even though they are young, they're really good. Markstrom's playing the best hockey of his career, but their speed and their skill, their sharpshooters are really, really good. Just to see Pedersen pounce on a couple of those bucks. And, you know, I, I see Pedersen. I've seen him for a couple of years now. He's rookie of the year. I voted for him. Uh, but you think about the skill and the ability to get into the office, offensive zone and make something happen, but he can really unleash that shot. And, Randy, there's a million takeaways from last night, but if, if I had one takeaway, it's this that – Vancouver was not intimidated by the Blues whatsoever. Now, you can say, why would they be? You know, the Blues haven't won a game in Edmonton. But this is the Stanley Cup champs. This is a team who, when it plays well, you know, can just steamroll you. I realize they didn't have the, all the personnel in last night. But Vancouver just said, hey, look, we're a good team. We won our first-round play-in series. Uh, we can be on the same ice with you. And whatever the Blues did, Vancouver just kept coming back at them. I wonder how much the Blues coaching staff will look at some of the ancillary numbers. The Blues out hit Vancouver by a pretty dramatic margin. They had 62 shot attempts to 49. I wonder how much they'll look at that and think, well, it wasn't as bad as five to two. Well, I think that they're going to look at that game and say it's progress, but at some point you're going to be running out of games to be labeling it progress. That's what happened in the, uh, in the play in and in the round Robin. And now you get to this game one, you know, sure you can make progress in game one and game two of the series, but you can also be down, Oh, two. So the shots were there. Uh, the hits were there. But the one thing I tried to point out in my article this morning, Randy, is that uh, the Blues were physical last year's postseason run. But what happened last year is teams were, you know, gasping for, for air. You're talking about Dallas and, and San Jose. They're at the end of an 82 game regular season. Now they're playing postseason games. And, and I think this year, Teams are fresh, so you can go at Vancouver all you want. You can hit them 30 times like you did last night, but I don't think you're going to wear out guys who've been relaxing for four months. Based on what we've seen in the bubble, Jeremy Rutherford, are you confident that Jordan Bennington is going to steal a game for the Blues? You're not after what you saw last night, but which is so interesting because he was probably their best player, save for Robert Thomas in the round robin. Jordan Bennington, even though they had the six goals given up against Vegas, uh, he kept them in the first couple games. So he was terrific. I don't know what it was last night. I mean, you look at that uh, third goal, and, and that's not a goal that he gives up. And that was the deflator that I talked about. Even the fourth one, you know, great move, great shot by Horvat. You know, that he walks around Vince Dunn. But Jordan Bennington, you know, usually stops that one, too. So I'm not one to overreact with Jordan Bennington because he's been so great at bouncing back and playing well in that next game. And I don't know that uh, you're going to get to this series where he's actually got to win you a game. But I think it's a situation where he's got to be himself. He's got to be who he is and who he has been last year. And he wasn't that last night. Any other takeaways in terms of individuals that played last night, whether it was good or not so good? And what, what takeaways do you have from individual play? 
Well, I think the biggest uh, development last night for the Blues was the fact that uh, Schwartz and Shen played really well. Schwartz was all over the place. Even if he doesn't score that goal, uh, he was buzzing. You know, I think Braden Shen uh, was moving pretty well. Uh, the, the situation with Vladimir Tarasenko, we all knew there was going to be some rust. You know, he had the round-robin games to kind of knock some of that rust off, Randy. Uh, but, you know, he's got to be a difference maker in this series for the Blues to have a chance uh, to win. And it just seems like he's getting some shots off. He looks okay, but just not fully himself right now. And, and then, uh, you know, you had a situation talking about players who yeah, you, you take away that they didn't play well last night. Uh, you know, Justin Falk. Justin Falk had a couple situations, uh, some hiccups, and, and he had a shot on goal uh, that he, he puts high. You know, if they score that, you know, now it's, it's, a, it's a one-goal game. So I think it's a situation where a lot of the veteran players on this team need to play well some of them are some of them aren't i need to see robert thomas get at least a shot on goal too and that's a lot of pressure to put on a 20 year old to expect him to be like you said their best player in the round robin but i believe that robert thomas among other guys vladimir tarasenko being another but thomas has to be more of an offensive force yeah he does and you know there's some talk uh, the past couple days about could he see some uh, top six uh, ice time. And I don't know that that's going to happen, but if he's going to play on that third line, even though he might not get the minutes or, or get the same uh, opportunity as the top six forwards, you're right. He does have to to put the shot on net. And uh, last night, a little bit of a different look with that line. Oscar Sundquist on the left side uh, with Tyler Bozak. The Blues mixing and matching because of the personnel uh, that's out. But Robert Thomas has grown, I believe, to the point where he needs to be a guy who's an aggressor and take it to the other team. Look, uh, uh, Pedersen's a young guy. Hughes is a young guy. But they're aggressors. They take it to you. We've seen glimpses of that from Robert Thomas, but not all the time. JR, before the series started, I assumed that we would see Jake Allen. And I still assume that we're going to see Jake Allen. Do you? Yeah, I think so. You know, you have the back-to-back games, uh, what is it, Sunday, Monday, mm-hmm. games three and four. So I think you're going to see Allen in one of those. You know, some people were asking about uh, Jake Allen last night. Will you see him in game two? I'd be a little bit surprised, again, you know, the history uh, with Jordan Bennington. Plus, you don't want to look like you're overreacting if you're Craig Bruby. But I will say this. Craig Bruby has told people that with this type of tournament, with these unique circumstances, he's going to be willing to pull guys, and not just talking about goalies, but, uh, you know, skaters up front as well, you know, to pull him if they're not producing. He's not going to have as long as a rope as maybe he would have in the past with some of these guys. I think that does apply to Jordan Bennington. If you don't see him play, uh, if you see him play in game two, I think there's still a situation where you could see Jake Allen in game three or four. JR, I said before the playoffs started that I liked Arizona. I didn't necessarily pick him to win, but I, I thought Arizona and still think Arizona can give Colorado a run for their money. I'm watching yesterday thinking, man, they're hanging with him. I left for two minutes, come back downstairs, and it's 3 nothing to Colorado. It was flat-out amazing, and I like Arizona, too. I really, really like Colorado. I, I think they can win the Cup. And uh, you look at that game yesterday, and Arizona did stay with them. What was it, about uh, 50 minutes and then uh, 55 minutes, and then all of a sudden. So that's the type of talent that Colorado has. And so even though you, you watch one team and you think they got a chance, you, you think they're in it. Uh, Colorado can just turn it on. So uh, some great series. And, uh, Randy, what about that uh, five-overtime game? That was unreal. So I think we're seeing some really good hockey in this uh, tournament. Yeah, and who would have thought that we would see such great hockey uh, at this point with the way that they trained and because we didn't have the 82-game season? But this is pretty darn good. It's impressive. It's fun to watch. 
It really is. And, and you're right. But I guess you look at it, they had the two, two and a half week of uh, training camp. You know, then you have your exhibition game. You got a couple playing games, those teams five through 12, they went up there and, and did the play in series. So they get those competitive juices going. A lot of these guys trained as much as they could uh, during the quarantine. So not exactly surprised that uh, we're seeing uh, as good a hockey as we are, but uh, the storylines and the outcomes and what we've seen so far, I think just has been terrific. JR, one more thing, and I know this is just a snapshot, but the Blues penalty kill going into Sunday, it had been the worst in the league of the 24 teams that played in the bubble, uh, at least in bubble play. Last night, they allowed the three power play goals. And I'm wondering about Jay Bomeister and how great of a PK he provided. Obviously, there's no way you could have him back, but are we seeing maybe the the real impact of not having Jay Bomeister? Yeah, I think so. He he was a big part of that PK, and and that PK was top ten, if not top seven, in the league for you know the long stretch that that Jay Bomeister was uh, with the Blues. But this group needs to be better. They've got the guys who can do it. Sunquist, uh, O'Reilly up front, Petrangelo. I know Bortuzzo hasn't been in the lineup much, but uh, when he's in there, he's, he's a shot blocker. It's just got to be better. There's no excuse for the Blues PK being at the bottom of this group of uh, teams. And I will say, you know, Steen's a part of that. And without him in the lineup last night, that's one thing you don't talk about. You know, I really do think we could analyze this game six ways to Sunday. But you look at that uh, fourth line last night, none of the three of those guys you would have envisioned in the lineup three, four weeks ago. And all three of them were in last night. And Steen especially, not on that fourth line, not bringing that veteran presence to that line. And then not on the penalty kill, Randy, I think is going to hurt the Blues if he's going to continue to miss these games. Any word about Steener? No, just day-to-day is what uh, Craig Ruby said last night. But we got to keep in mind that going back to training camp, he's missed you know, five or six, whether it be days or games, practices, where he's good for a couple of days, and then he's not. So just uh, nursing something, and, and uh, Craig Ruby said that he's been rehabbing that as they go. So missed last night's game. We'll have to see what's up with game two. JR, you're the best. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. See you later. That is our friend Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals hope to start play again on Saturday, but there's virtually no way they can play 60 games if they don't play as many games as other teams do. Should they be allowed to make the playoffs? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Seems to be some hope that the Cardinals could play Saturday in Chicago and start a string of doubleheaders. Right now they have seven, and there could be as many as eight, maybe even nine doubleheaders that the Cardinals would play. And maybe they would be able to get to 50, 52 games. And that begs the question, would it be reasonable to put the Cardinals, if they were good enough, in the playoffs if they had one of the top eight winning percentages in the National League? You have to finish first or second in your division or be one of the teams that has one of the next two best records. Derek Gould has a piece at stltoday.com. He talked to Rob Manfred and said that the Cardinals, he said, Manfred, that the Cardinals could play a credible season. He said, quote, I absolutely see a path back for the Cardinals. That is dependent upon getting enough days with no positives that were comfortable that we don't have any contagion risk. But 100%, I see a path back. Now, obviously, 
This is all dependent upon the Cardinals being good enough. And I question, with all the time off, whether or not they're going to win enough games to have a high enough winning percentage to be a playoff team. But it would not be unprecedented for a team to play a different number of games and be in the playoffs. Back in 1981, you might not remember this, there was a baseball strike. And baseball determined with Bowie Kuhn at the helm, that they were going to do a split season. That's what a lot of minor league teams do. It's essentially two seasons where you play a half a season, the team with the best record in the half season wins that half, and then you play another half season. And if another team wins that half season, the two teams that win each half play each other in the playoffs. Well, back in 1981, the Cardinals had the overall best record in the National League East at the time. But Montreal won the first half, Philadelphia won the second half, and those two teams played in the playoffs for the National League East title, despite the fact that the Cardinals had the best overall record and the Cardinals didn't play as many games. The Dodgers won the National League pennant that year. The Dodgers in Houston had the best records in the West and the best overall record, not only in that division, but in the entire league, was held by Cincinnati. But the Reds didn't make the playoffs either. My point here is that all of those teams played different numbers of games, and teams were still allowed to make the playoffs, despite the fact that they had played a fewer number of games than another team had. So the question becomes... What is the threshold? What would be the number of games that would be reasonable for the Cardinals to play? If they would get to 45, and uh, Scotty, you have this written out, if, if they would play 25 and 20 and have a 555 winning percentage, that might be good enough to get you into a playoff and beat out a team that played all 60 games and win 32 and 28 and had a 533 winning percentage. Would it be fair and reasonable? I don't think it would for the Cardinals to make the playoffs based on a 45-game schedule. Gosh, it's so hard to think about because it's such a weird season. I mean, you think about everything in 2020, you know, with the man starting at second and extra innings, the universal DH, seven inning double headers, everything that just kind of culminates with the season. I think that you have to play a minimum, and I mean the bare minimum of half your season. Because here's here would be my follow-up question with that. Say the Cardinals play 45 games. The Cardinals play 45 games. Thank you. They go 25 and 20. All right, mm-hmm. They have that winning percentage. Now, if you decide, hey, they didn't play enough games, they're not going to the postseason, how does it affect how they finish in the standings then? Because if they, if they keep that winning percentage, then when you go to the MLB draft, where do they get seated? Is that amongst winning percentage, or how do they move it there? That's a good question. You have a lot of tentacles to this question but right now as you're talking playoffs i i believe that and i don't know what the number is i don't know if three quarters of a season is reasonable but i do think it's unreasonable to expect a team to play 60 games and have that much more opportunity to lose games than the cardinals do and the cardinals finishing five games over when another team finishes six or seven games over but the cardinals have a better winning percentage because they played fewer I don't think that's fair or reasonable. And I will say this. I I do believe that if the Cardinals would get to 50 and be a playoff team, maybe that's my threshold is, is 50 games. But I would be stunned if the Cardinals would be able to come back and be good enough to win that much because everybody else is a third of the way through their season. The Cardinals basically haven't played. They played that five-game stretch that doesn't matter anymore because it's been two weeks since they've played. They aren't going to be conditioned from a player's standpoint. 
from a pitcher's standpoint. They aren't going to have the timing offensively. They're still going to be missing people because of COVID-19. I think this is going to wind up being a moot point because I think because of things out of their control, because of the fact that the team was so overwhelmingly infected by COVID-19, I don't see a way that they can be good enough to win enough games to make the playoffs. Yeah, it'll be so tough because you don't even know how the, you know, people ask how the rotation is going to look, how the lineup's going to look. I mean, even if these this, these guys are at full strength and stuff, we were talking about, you know, how tough it was going to be in this division and coming down to a matter of games or a game. And now we're talking about them being at that distinct advantage and or disadvantage rather here for the Cardinals and having two weeks of not going on the field and then Let's hope that they can work out today, work out tomorrow, and then play. Two workouts, and then you want to see the the White Sox? I mean, White Sox aren't bad. Yeah, and we get this from the 618, and this is a legitimate opinion. 60 games isn't even a legitimate season. I love baseball, but have no interest in this sham they're trying to put on this year. And you can argue that that's the case. I would suggest that it is a money grab. There's seven to $800 million on the line for the owners. There's a billion and a half in salary for the players. So if you want to call it a sham, I'm not going to say you're wrong because there's a lot of people that think they should have just shut this one down, try to come back and do it again next year. And the reason they're coming back, there's only one reason they're they're playing. It's because of money. Right. And I think about that texter's text and the way that I kind of thought about it when they announced they're coming back. I'm a kind of person that looks and says, all right, here are the rules. 60 games, here's how we're going to do it. And then for me, I'm like, all right, I'm jumping on it. Like, this is what I'm following. I kind of just have thrown away everything else because I I was so excited just to see baseball, so excited to have the competition back. But in terms of looking five years from now, oh, you remember that 2020 season with the 60-game schedule? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that was such crap. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, who's... If you win, it's not, right? Right. That's what it comes down to. That's not, but isn't going to suck if you win? Like, think of one of the teams that haven't won in forever, and then you have, you're you supposed to have the parade, and you can't have it. Yeah. Like, that that thought, like, killed the pit of my stomach when I think about it for any sports right now. Yeah, it's too bad. It's it goes. Gosh. Yeah. Come on. Hey, coming up at the bottom of the hour, you can ask me anything. I'll be in for Dan McLaughlin from 10 to 11, and we want your Mic drops with the Rhino Shield mic drop, and you can literally ask me anything within reason that we can air on the radio. And I will try to answer in a concise and honest answer for you. That's at the bottom of the hour. Coming up next, we talked to Greg Amsinger this morning, and we'll uh, let you hear what he had to say. How and where would an MLB postseason bubble work? That's next on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.